Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome to the new week, team. What do we hit? 22nd of May. 22nd of May. Good to have your company here on the Monday. Uh, thank you to Sammy and Steve McIver uh, filling in on Monday. Uh, sorry, Friday. We are now Monday. Um, brilliant. Really appreciate that. Now, we're back in line. We're back in line. A massive weekend of sport. Uh, we just can't cover it all in four hours. We'll do our best. Uh, very shortly, uh, Ryan Fox is going to join us out of Rochdale. I think that's north... North of New York? Yeah, north of New York. Uh, finished tight 23rd. Fantastic result. Uh, John Hasselbau, PGA rider, will join us straight after that as well. He is uh, the rider for the Lions US, wrapping up the championship in Brooks Kepka's uh, win. Lots of S's uh, as well. Dan Talentai will join us just after one. He's the editorial lead for NRL.com. Massive West Tigers fan, so he'll be celebrating that blowout win. That was incredible. In In fact, it was an incredible weekend of rugby league. We can probably talk to him for an hour, but we won't. Uh, Peter Alatini, fingers crossed, somewhere in the show, he's flying today. We either get him before he leaves or when he lands. Talking through um, Moana Pacifica and the role they play. Of course, Aaron Major announcing he's stepping down at the end of the season. He'll still have the reins for their final two games. And um, the rumour that Liva Aomua, their best player, well, arguably the best player, one of the best, is on the move. Speculation, it's Crusaders. I think the Blues were interested in him as well. Oh, it doesn't sit well with me. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. Um, an already struggling team. What if they had two wins in two seasons? Uh, and they take their most potent back. I'm not a fan. Aaron Young, he is the Auckland Tuatara head coach. They've won three straight, um, including two of the top three teams. Well, they're they're one of the top teams now. Nuggets and Rams, they disposed of back-to-back. What's working for them? How did that all happen? And also we'll talk to Jimmy Smith as well. Some stage we'll find out what's making news as well. Uh, We've got some audio for you as well during the day. Um, Ronan Agara, hopefully we'll have time to play you that. La Rochelle winning the big prize of European rugby, going to Ireland and basically beating the Irish national team in Leinster. It was fantastic. Uh, Liam Lawson won on the weekend. It was just a fantastic weekend of sport. But let's crack in. The PGA Championship is over very, very recently. I cheekily asked uh, Ryan Fox if he'd come and have a chat, and he said, yep, no problem. So we're really privileged to be joined by Ryan Fox. Uh, Ryan, welcome. And uh, would you take that result, the Tide 23 on the tee, getting ready for round one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, my prep was probably the, I don't know if worst is the right word, but definitely the most limited it's been going into a major and um, you know, come off four weeks off pneumonia, um, you know, having a having a second kid. It were, you know, the expectations weren't overly high this week, and um, yeah, definitely would have taken tied twenty third. And 
there were definitely some good signs out there this week, which was nice. Yeah, particularly round one, Ryan, you shot 68 and the media couldn't get enough of you. Um, I think I remember you saying you had a hot putter there. Um, it must have been end of round one, you're sitting there going, how the hell did I do that? Uh, yeah, especially with how I had it. Ironically, I actually played Peter Green a lot better the rest of the week. Um, but, you know, a hot putter kind of saves everything. And, um, you know, I certainly, I probably deserved to shoot three or four over at least that first round and, you know, kind of made everything I looked at. And it was a, it was a pretty good start. And then from there, I actually started to play a lot better um, and just kind of struggled with a cold putter a little bit on the weekend, which was a bit frustrating. I, you know, today I actually played great Peter Green and left a bunch out there on the greens and, um, you know, could have quite easily shot three or four under, had a few more putts dropped. But as I said, there was, you know, there's some positive signs going into the next few weeks for me. How hard's the course, mate? Um, you've just played it. How hard was it set up? How long was it? Talk us through that. Um, yeah, I mean, the first couple of days especially, it was brutal. Um, you know, we, it's, I mean, it's 7,500 yards, which is, what, 60, 6,800 metres or something like that off the bat tees, which we pretty much played everything off the back for the week. Um, it was really firm and fast that you know the first couple of days and it was really hard to hit fairways and um I'm, i guess anyone that watched it saw how brutal that rough was i mean i saw a couple of guys in my group had a hit shot that went three yards wow. out of the rough trying to trying to advance it forward so when we're doing that it's pretty nasty um you know obviously saturday saturday was nasty just conditions wise but it, it softened the golf course up quite a lot and um you know definitely made it a bit easier for scoring today. You know, we had perfect conditions out there today. You know, the golf course would still bite you if you missed it. That rough was still brutal. Um, the pins were tricky as well today. But, you know, with the greens being softer and the fairways being softer, it was a bit easier to, to kind of control your ball. Um, and, and very little wind made a difference. But, um, yeah, it's definitely one of the harder golf courses I've played. It would be an interesting one to be a member of. I think you'd get your... You get used to getting your butt kicked every week. <laughs> you'd, be a, you'd be a 10 handicapper moving out to 18 probably if you remember there. Um, cream, cream in the majors does rise to the top and you're knocking on the door of the top 20 of one of the strongest fields in the year. All the majors are. Brooks Kepka, Scotty Scheffler, uh, one and two. A good tournament by Victor Hovland who was undone by a bunker. Uh, I find it remarkable Brooks Kepka can shoot nine under around that course. He's done it before. I mean, I he did it at Beth Page around a brutal golf course and won that in a canter um, a few years ago. And, you know, that guy just seems to live for the big events. Um, you know, he, he obviously gave himself a, a great shot at the Masters this week and you know, probably uh, this year and obviously let himself down. But John Rahm was pretty incredible down the stretch as well. And uh, I think he kind of had a point to prove today. And I, I think he, he definitely did it. I mean... He just seems to be so cool, calm and collected in those big moments and had all the shots you kind of needed to down the stretch and um, made the golf course look a lot easier than it was the last three days at least. Obviously, he's on the live tour, but to me, Fox, he looks like the sort of guy that would enjoy the PGA Tour more because a lot more golf, familiar surroundings. It doesn't have the paycheck that he got from live golf. Um, I'm just wondering where his head's at now, happy to be live and play majors. Um, to be honest, I don't know Brooks is a, I don't know Brooks well at all, but um, you know, anyone that's seen that 
full swing documentary um, that Netflix has. It was, you know, you could see that he was in a very, very dark place a few, a couple of years ago, and that probably um, influenced his decision to go to live. And it, it, yeah, it would be interesting to see if he would make the same choice now. You know, he was, he was injured. It looked career ending I think they mentioned that on the coverage a couple of times today that you know his knees were bad and he wasn't sure if he'd ever get back playing let alone to the level he was and um, again that's probably a big influence in his decision to go to live um, but yeah I mean he's he's comfortable in the big events I think even when he was on the PGA Tour he kind of he only really showed up for the majors as well you know he was a bit hit and miss um, on the P- in PGA Tour events that just didn't kind of do it for him for some reason and I think he even said that in the media a few times that he struggled to get up for it and to get himself up for majors really well and that still seems to be the case for him and Another golfer I wanted to ask you about, you probably never heard of him, but the whole world's heard of him now. Michael Block, I think he's the local pro, made a hole-in-one, tied for 15th. Every tournament has a fairy tale. How must that bloke be feeling tied 15th? Oh, yeah, um, I actually played with him in the 2018 PGA at Bell Reef. Ah. Um, he's a he's really nice guy. He's a I think he's a head pro down in California somewhere, Southern California. And um, yeah, I mean it's just incredible. I don't think any PGA pro has finished anywhere near that um, since the tournament's been been going on, or certainly not in the last twenty five years that I can remember. And you know to go out on the weekend play with Justin Rose yesterday play with Rory today, have a hole in one. Um, I think the tide the tied fifteenth got him into the tournament for next year as well. I mean that's I don't think you could write a script like that. I mean I'd I'd hate to know what he would have been paying um, odds wise for, for that finish this week. I can't I imagine if someone had a bet on it they would have done very, very well because it would have yeah, it, it's it's almost unheard of. What's the crowds like, Foxy? You've played in big tournaments all over the world, and, and I always feel like at majors they're a bit more polite, a bit more, a bit more golf savvy. If it was, what was the what was the crowd experience like? Uh, they're definitely not up in this part of the world. They're definitely not more polite. I mean, New York's generally renowned, um, or the East Coast, or the Northeast, should I say, is renowned for being um, maybe a bit aggressive. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but the crowd was great this week. They're out there in force. They definitely want your attention. You know, you get kind of yelled at, um, you know, in between green and tea almost every hole and people want you to kind of acknowledge them. Uh, but they're, they're very supportive as well, which is quite cool. And, um, you know, you saw that the crowd following Michael Block and Rory today. I mean, it was, they kind of jumped on the underdog there and, we're cheering him louder than almost anyone out there. It's pretty cool to see, but yeah, it's, it's certainly um, it's a bit different in this part of the world. You know, you, you compare it to say the Masters, which the Masters crowds are are big, but they're very polite. You know, obviously you feel like you're stepping on eggshells a little bit at Augusta, where that's certainly not the case up here this week in, in Upper State, New York. Kiwi presence in the gallery. I'm always keen to know if you heard a, a give him a taste of Kiwi or he saw a New Zealand flag on some of the fairways. Uh, yeah, I, there's definitely a few Kiwis you could hear an accent. And there was a guy following me, following me around in a Warriors jersey for a couple of days. Um, so there's definitely not too many of those in this part of the world. So you've got, you've got to pick either Kiwi. Um, but it, it's amazing, actually. You see, you know, there is Kiwis all over the world. And, you know, almost every week, 
wherever I'm playing, whether it's in Europe or in the States, there's always a couple of random Kiwis floating around, which is very cool. Um, so what's next, Ryan? I wouldn't suggest you go and get pneumonia and have another kid to get your, get your fresh form on board, but um, you had a little break. You've just played a major. Uh, talk us through your next three or four weeks. Um, so I've got uh, Charles Swab Challenge or Cup or something next week in Texas at Colonial um, and in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, then the Memorial Tournament up in Ohio, which is Jack's event. Um, and then I come home for a week and then I've got US Open and then I'm not quite sure of the schedule from there. Um, today got my special temporary membership on the PJ Tour, which um, basically means I get unlimited starts if I can get them instead of the 12 you get as a non-member. Mm. Um, so I still don't I, – I know what it means, but I still don't know what it actually means for my schedule going forward. So I've got a bit of, bit of that to figure out for in the next couple of days. Brilliant, Foxy. Um, taking up heaps of your time. Really appreciate you coming so so hard on the back of a, of a fourth-round major. Always accessible. Really appreciate it, mate. And I know the listeners enjoy hearing from you as well. Uh, rest up, and we look forward to following you. Thanks, Steph. Appreciate it, mate. Ryan Fox there <clears throat> out of uh, Rochdale. Someone just texted me, actually. Uh, Rochester, New York State. New York State. Um, great to hear from him, and I just love the accessibility. I gave him plenty of chances to opt out, bearing in mind he's just finished a major, and he, he just loves talking to us and you, which um, is a really valuable component from one of our top athletes. We won't leave golf there. We're going to take a break and come back with John Hasselbauer, a PGA writer for the Lions US. What did he make of Foxy? But then this Brooks Kepka, live golfer, winning majors. What ramifications does that hold? We'll find out after the break with John Hasselbauer. Uh, we've just got off the phone from Ryan Fox uh, from Rochester in New York State, having just completed the PGA Championship. Um, we're going to keep talking golf. Great to hear from Ryan. Thank you for all your feedback, saying how good it is to hear from him. Uh, John Hasselbauer, PGA writer for the Lions US, joins us. Uh, welcome in, John. Hello, how's it going? Very good. We're pretty proud of Ryan Fox down here. Um, I know you probably won't write too much about him, tied 23rd, but on the back of pneumonia, welcoming him his second child back in. I think he had about 27 holes warm up in New York before he hit the major and had a really good performance. Excellent. Well, I actually uh, did place an outright bet on him before the tournament started at 300 50 to one. Um, and by week's end, that was one of my most viable bets. So uh, probably best. I didn't even know about the pneumonia. I was wondering why he hadn't played in, since the, uh, since the masters and took such an extended leave. And that makes some sense. Yeah. We actually got pneumonia in the masters. Then he played the week after. And I think he pulled out after nine holes. He was just ruined. They told him to go to hospital and he said, no, I'll go to New Zealand. So he came to New Zealand. They said, you got pneumonia and went on antibiotics. So there you go. He's a tough old rooster, son of an all black. Uh, but anyway, the, the tournament as a whole, Brooks Kepka winning, proving he's one of the top two or three players in the world once again. Absolutely. And something about New York for Brooks, it's his third major in New York after winning at Shinnecock and Beth Page Black. We knew this was going to be a tough grind, and those are all of the types of tournaments that we've seen Brooks play his best in. And, and Oak Hill, such an amazing venue, such a great test all around, and We've seen it so many times where these venues that really test you all around from T to green tend to produce very similar leaderboards of uh, proven past major champions. 
What is his key to success? Because when he was on the PGA Tour, he sort of wouldn't get talked about. A major would come around and bang, he's there front and centre. Is he the sort of guy that only responds to on the biggest stage? It, it definitely seems that way because I believe I saw it. I'm not sure if this is true, but I believe I saw he has more uh, major victories than PGA Tour victories now at this point <laughs> of his career. Um, which is just incredible. And I think it's a, a testament to how he manages his nerves um, compared to the rest of the field. This is what everybody gets up for and looks forward to the most each uh, year. And he's able to manage his his nerves and, and his temperament um, and just go about his business. And it, it's, you know, you can see it watching, um, watching the, the back nine there. He was just unfazed by uh, any struggles that he was facing. If he was out of position, he just got back in there. He hit clutch putts. Um, and he he acts like he's been there before, and and he has now having his fifth major. Can I chuck a fairly far fetched crystal ball gazing thing that I've done? That what a coup it would be for the PGA Tour if Brooks Kepka came back. Now there'd have to be a shift of money, but I feel like it'd be an investment that the PGA Tour would be prepared to make to buy him out of his live contract. That's if he wanted to, of course, to give a little bit of a up you to the live tour he's coming back to the pga tour because uh we're better than you uh could you see anything like that playing out i think if there was any player that would consider it it would probably be him um just because i, I think the timing of when he committed to live was because he was injured and he wasn't able to get a full season on the pga tour and this was an outlet where he could get paid up front by live not have to play every single week kind of play once a month um, less golf, I think, was important to him at that time. And now as we see like more details come out about what the live schedule is going to be like this year, next year, they are adding more events, they're adding more travel. Um, so it might be a case of, you know, when his contract is up, maybe that's not exactly what I signed up for in the beginning. And it is interesting to notice that uh, his team is Smash GC, I believe, and there was no logos uh, of his live club uh, in any of his outfits, um, something that I noticed. And, and that was definitely the case with every other live player that was playing this week. And once again, no surprise to see just Mr. Consistent, Scotty Sheffley. You can chuck any condition, any golf course in his path, and he contends every week. Absolutely. I know, I know for me going into this event, it felt like a toss-up between Scheffler or Rom. that one of those two um, you could bank on to be in the mix. Rom a little disappointing, um, and Scheffler just continues to show that his, you know, his B game, his C game, is still good enough to hang around with the with the best in the world. And uh, it just begs the question: What does this guy have to do to finish outside of the top ten at this point? <laughs> with the way his, his current form is, he needs to get caught cheating, I reckon, because he, it's not ball on club because he just seems to be able to score. Uh, the fairy tale story, and we touched on this with. Uh, Ryan Fox, Michael Block, uh, the club pro, who Foxy informed us he played with him in the 2018 uh, PGA Championship. So he's a regular visitor to majors. He's locked in a start for next year with his tied 15. What a story he is. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure if you just saw this, but he's earned a sponsor's invite to the PGA Tour event next week oh, at brilliant. Uh, the Charles Schwab Challenge. Um, that was uh, That just broke like 10 minutes ago, so... He's redirecting his flight from Rochester to uh, to to Dallas, and now he'll have to delay his homecoming. Or I'm sure they'll you know have the biggest party that that part of California has ever seen. 
very impressive, very uh, storybook from start to finish from him. Can you tell me, um, I know in some of the majors, and probably this one more than any, that club pros, do they have their own little mini pre-queue tournaments to get a start in the big one? And, and there's always some club pros make it? This is uh, specific to the PGA Championship where they reserve 20, um, 20 spots in the field for PGA club pros. And there are a couple of regional qualifiers um, that they all play together in. And forget if it's if it's one big championship where the top 20 qualify or if it's a couple of regional ones. Um, but that is only a thing for the PGA Championship, which makes the PGAs, uh, you know, such a special one of the four majors. Any surprises in that in that leaderboard at the end? I mean, Victor Hovland, you had to feel sorry for him. He got bunkeritis, which possibly cost him maybe a playoff anyway. Um, at the top of the leaderboard, as you say, Brooks, Scotty Scheffler, Cam Davis, Kurt Kitayama. Who, who really impressed you that you didn't even think about going into the tournament? And I guess we can leave our club golfer out of that. Uh, I mean, I would definitely say Connors for the first three rounds. He obviously didn't have it today, but... Um, you know, maybe there's something about this upstate climate that, that felt familiar with him being from Canada, um, you know, probably less than an hour drive um, from Rochester to, to where he's from. So um, I was impressed by his poise the first three days. I think he kind of came back down to earth on Sunday. Um, and then Justin Rose is a guy who looked like he was every time they were cutting to him, he was hitting one to, to 10 feet today. Um, so he's somebody who's had a really uh, resurgent year, not somebody I, I uh, had pegged to, um, you know, I'm not someone I was too confident in to have a good result this week. Uh, he's somebody to look out for for the rest of the majors, the last two this uh, year, and uh, especially next week on the PGA Tour, going back to Colonial where he's won before. Brilliant. Uh, John, uh, really appreciate you chatting to us. Of course, John Hasselbauer, PGA writer for the Lines US. Uh, thanks for making yourself available for us today. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Thanks very much. Um, look him up. He's an Elijah US great analyst of the game. And uh, there you go. Rosie next week. I t- I've taken Justin Rose. I mentioned it last week. I've taken Justin Rose every major since he was an amateur finishing fourth in the British Open way back in, I'm going to say late 90s. Was it six or eight or something like that? Um, he still owes me money, but he was paying 100 this time. So I just had him in the top 10. And where did he finish? 10th. Thanks, Rosie. Thanks, Rosie. Um, we'll open the lines now. 0800 150 811. Your reaction to Ryan Fox. Um, you're welcome to text on double eight double three, the Tampa Bay Post text machine. But love to hear your voices uh, on the golf or anything you liked over the weekend. 0800 150 811. We'll take news and then your calls. We're back. We are back. Post news. And we're going straight to the phone line. Thanks for calling. 0800 150 811. We'll go to Nick in Wellington. G'day, Nick. G'day, Steffi. How are you? Good. Thanks, Nick. Hey, that golf was sensational this morning. I've been, um, I've been, I've been a Kepka fan since he burst on the scene. I sort of, I'm an absolute golf tragic, but I have this. <laughs> in my, I gravitate towards the big names, and when it gets to a big tournament, and then someone who I don't really know, I haven't heard a lot about, is winning, it kind of irks me. So when <laughs> when he went on his run and just started, you know, defending titles and. I just got hooked on him because he's just such a big game player, you know, big time, big time tournaments, and he even he's even said in the past like oh, I just can't get him in the in the in a regular tour event because it's just not, you know, it's not worth. And and I just think you know after that last one in the Masters, I was like, oh no, that would be you know that was his chance to sort of 
get the ball rolling again. But oh, I just love him. I just think he's so driven. After, after I watched the um, the uh, what it was called, the full swing on Netflix. Yeah. And I think because obviously he left the live halfway through them filming. Now I get the feeling they he was sort of wasn't you know he didn't come he wasn't portrayed the greatest. He was portrayed a little bit arrogant and a little bit heated, but. I get the feeling the producers probably wanted that, but but I just yeah I really really enjoyed watching that this morning. He's a great golfer. I love the way he plays the game as well. He just he takes the course on. Yeah, he's a, like he's a sort of the modern day big big you know big hitter. Like I mean, you look at him, he could be he could be any any sportsman, but but I think like the difference is he's just you know when he gets those you see it today he gets those little ten footers and. Just grips the putter tight and knocks them in, you know, and yeah. you don't have to be big to do that. Yeah. Nah, awesome, Nick. Please, you enjoyed it. Hey, thank you, Steph. Have a good one. Cheers, mate. You too. That's Nick from Wellington. We go to Christchurch. Talk to Mikey. G'day, Mikey. Hey, Steffi. How you doing? I'm good. I guess one of the uh, advantages of being crook is uh, being able to watch the, uh, the PGA this morning. I was going to say, you don't, sound, you, you don't sound very rosy, mate. Nah, just, you know, get older, you pick up a flu, it knocks you around a little bit more, so... <laughs> I hear yeah, you. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that was that was really, really good. I, I saw the hole-on-one, that was amazing. Every time uh, Justin Rose was putting one close, I was thinking of you. <laughs> like, there he is, he's, he's getting close again, but he just he just can't quite, quite get there. I had but, him no, top was, ten. Was... I didn't have him to win, I just had him top ten uh, and top five, but um, no, I had a little profit. Well, I think it, I think it's the smart choice, isn't it, Justin Rose? Because he's always kind of there, not mm. quite there, but just sort of bearish mm. all the time. Um, I think when his career's over, he's just going to look back and go, "How did I not ever win a major?" Yeah. Um, uh, can I quick, quickly touch on the rugby? Sure. Um, just a couple of thoughts from the, from the rugby. I thought the, the sort of the, the rest and recreation that they're all doing has cost teams, man. Um, I thought the Canes, who may not have won on the weekend, would have missed the spine of having Severe and Barrett there. Um, their kicking was absolutely terrible, except for their uh, try scorer. That's one of the best tries I've seen all season. I forget his name, but he has beautiful chip kick. Um, I love seeing Clayton McMillan lose his mind when old D-Mac basically bobbled the ball up. That was, I mean, that's a passionate coach. It yeah. was good to see. Uh, so he wasn't happy. I love seeing the Crusaders' first half performance just with the young team in there. Catch and pass was just unbelievable. But, you know, the Brumbies, man, they have stuffed up, haven't they? Leaving the front-line players go home, or stay home, I should say, losing to the force. And this weekend is so crucial for the Blues versus Canes and the Brumbies versus Chiefs. These are massive, massive games when it comes to where they're going to be on the table. Um, and also the Hollanders versus Reds, because if the Hollanders lose this, they, they have zero chance mm. given that top eight. Yeah, because so, they're ninth, but they're three behind eighth, aren't they? They're three behind, and then you've got, you know, like, yeah, I think if the Reds win it, that's it. Um, but the the Brumbies, Chiefs, I mean, the Brumbies have to win if they've got any chance of being in the top two. Four, the Chiefs have to win just to feel safe, because if uh, Brumbies and um, Crusaders win, because I think the Waratahs are leading players at home, all of a sudden the Chiefs are under fire for the potential home final, but in my mind, it's definitely going to be Chiefs 1 and Crusaders 1-2. But I wouldn't want to be the Blues or Hurricanes at the moment because they, they're scrapping for probably seeing each other in the quarter or semi-finals. Yeah, they're trying to avoid each other, and I don't know if they can. <laughs> no, they can't. So that game, 
So those two games, the Brumbies, Chiefs, Blues, uh, uh, Canes is going to be absolutely ripper. And this is what we want now. You know, you, you look at the NRL with their big games pretty much every week. We've got two massive games coming this weekend. It's going to be good viewing. Yeah, I'm locking myself up and going watching. That's all I'm doing, watching. It's going to be awesome this weekend. Oh, and just very quickly before I go off, I saw the Euro, the Leinster versus La Rochelle game, and mm. Jesus, that was a tough, uncompromising game. So, oh, those Northern Hemisphere boys. Anywho, have a great show, mate. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Um, thanks, team. Yeah, Justin Rose won the US Open in 13. I thought he'd won a major. I thought he'd won a major, Rosie, and I didn't want to... Come out and say that. So Matt tells me he won US Open in 2013. Um, just before we leave the PGA Championship, um, if you didn't hear it or see it, there was a certain club golfer, a certain club golfer, Michael Block, who Foxy just told us he played the 2018 US PGA Championship. He sent the tournament off the Richter scale with this. Tale story gets better. So not only does he get paired with Rory McIlroy to play the final round of a major, he then has this hole in one and he turns to Rory and says, did it go in? Rory was more excited than Michael Block. Imagine, literally imagine turning to Rory McIlroy <laughs> as just a club pro. And I mean, I'm just imagining myself as a weekend hack staff, but just turning to Rory McIlroy and saying, did it go in? <laughs> to Rory McIlroy, like, did that go in? And it was a slam dunk. Go yeah, and watch touch it. the ground. And if you think... Like, the width of a hole between the flagstick and the edge of the hole is about one and a half ball widths or one and a quarter ball widths. Mm. It's millimetre perfect to actually go in and stay in and not I, bounce I, out Yeah, well. not bounce out is probably incredible. And it had a lot of height to it as well. The, the content from Michael Block over the last four days has been amazing on social media. After every round, obviously, he was getting interviewed and very emotional. And I remember seeing a video yesterday, or maybe it was on Saturday, when he found out he was paired with Rory for, for Sunday and just hit the look on it and he's just like, really? I, I, I can't, he just couldn't believe it. Just an awesome story. And you said this morning, all majors sort of, or all golf tournaments sort of need something like that because whilst it's great seeing the Kepkas and the Schefflers and the Hovlins dominating and we've got Foxy in there, it's just awesome having something completely random. Mm. It's almost like, yeah, we talk about this, the um, People Olympics, you know, just doing Olympics of just everyday people. Why can't we just throw like a 20 handicapper into every major. And, you know, just see what happens. Throw yeah. a 20 handicapper in there. Maybe for, not for a layman. Maybe an eight. Oh, maybe, maybe with not. a 20. Gives me a chance. Oh, that shoot 130 in a major setup. And here's the thing about Michael Block as well. He shot rounds of 70, 70, 70, 71 on a major setup. Now, Foxy said it was long, and then they got all that rain... So you're getting no run. Make, make sitting the greens easier because, you know, you, it settles and it sits and you can get some action on your ball. But your tee shots are going nowhere. They land and stop. Maybe get a slightly, slight little bit of run. This Michael Block is heck of a story. And as our golf writer, uh, John Hasselbauer, mentioned, he's now got an invite to next week's tournament, which is just fantastic. Um, what a story he is. 
Oh, fun times. It's just fun times watch, watching stuff like that. Um, if, if you hadn't seen the result, Kepka won by two and nine under on that course. His rounds are 72, 66, 66, 67 is incredible. Sheffler and Victor Hovland were two shots off that. And then a big four shots back to Cam Davis out of Australia and Kirk Kitayama, another American, three under along with Bryson DeChambeau. Then we had Sepp Stracker, uh, Rory McIlroy, McElroy tied seventh. Cam Smith and Patrick Cantlay, our pre-tournament pick. Good tournament for him after a very bad start. He, he shot 74-67, 72-66, so one of the, one of the best final rounds. Um, and then Justin Rose tied ninth as well. And if you've been under a rock, uh, Ryan Fox rounded out with a 71 today. Uh, tied 23rd. Great results. About 200 grand in his kick. Um, Michael Block, the club pro, 300 grand for tied 15. <laughs> it's just such a good news story. Uh, we'll have a Someone wanted to know what the song is at the top of the show. It's Vampires by... The Jukes. The Jukes. Whoever texted and asked that. Vampires by The Jukes. That's what it is. We'll come back. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Uh, you might have just heard that promo. Danny Cipriani was on Bricky this morning. Uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, DCNZ app. Fantastic chat. All right, we'll go, well back, worth and, a go listen. back and have a listen. Hey, we're going to do What's Making News a little bit earlier from now on. I uh, feel like in the first hour it's more relevant because it's What's Making News, not What Made News. Yeah, because Steph. it's four hours older. Exactly, yeah. Great exactly. Thinking, Sam, so uh, just one, one, step ahead, one step ahead of the curve. Um, well... Whilst uh, there's plenty going on in the sporting world, and I mean plenty, there is a whole bunch going on in the sporting I world. I know. We've, we haven't even talked about the origin <laughs> squads that got named this morning as well. We have to do that between one and two. Um, what else is going on? Well, I can tell you that a German surgeon... Uh, let's go to Germany, shall German we? German surgeon. Yes, it's a German surgeon. Was fired. Apparently he's very high up in the German surgeon circles as well. <laughs> he was fired after he asked a hospital cleaner who was walking around to assist him with an amputation. Oh, I like uh, clean up the mess. Yeah, so what happened was, um, no, no, I literally asked him to hold a tool. Oh. So um, the patient who had received the local anaesthetic became restless. The doctor asked a nearby cleaner to hold the man's leg and pass surgical instruments, according to the uh, local magazine paper. Uh, the paper that reported that the cleaner had absolutely no medical experience. The incident came to light after a hospital manager spotted the cleaner bloody gauss pads in hand, gauze uh, pads in hand, in the operating theatre. Let's just give me a hand, mate. Oh, I know well, nothing but, about... you know, holding, passing the tools and holding it. I mean, it sounded like, for all measures, he was part of the surgery. Nah. And that's just not on. Nah. Nah, it's like a mechanic saying, mate, can you pass me that crescent? I know nothing about engines, but I can pass you the crescent. It's a bit different when we talk about human lives, Steph, and amputations. If you're just passing stuff... What if though? he passes in the wrong tool? Well, you'd say that's what if the he wrong drops one. it? What if he drops it into your leg? What if he doesn't <laughs> have clean hands? He's a he's a cleaner for crying out well, loud. He's probably covered in bleach. Had he not scrubbed? I don't know. That's the th- these are questions that probably the German newspapers were asking. Let's get the him on the show. Get him on the show. Get him on the show. Pun intended. Yeah, good one, Robbie. That's actually not bad. Yeah, giving him a hand. Um, now I know you're a massive TikToker, uh, Steph. A company by the name of Ubiquitous, and they've done this before actually, they're offering a hundred bucks an hour 
to go on a 10-hour TikTok watching session to help us discover emerging trends, quote, in the field. No experience necessary, um, but t- 100 bucks an hour for 10 hours, so 1,000 bucks, you do the math, 1,000 bucks to sit and watch TikTok. Sounds like the sort of job that uh, a few people in our office would be very competent at. Rubinho. I was thinking Brendan English, but... I don't know, oh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> do you English. even have TikTok, Robbie? I do have TikTok. Okay, he does have TikTok. I actually uh, think Brendan English does that anyway, unpaid. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> yeah. just throw the 100 bucks on there and away he goes. Yeah. Um, now, we, we've got a penchant for uh, talking about academics on this particular segment. And I can tell you that a 12-year-old man by the name... Oh, boy, I should say by the name of... Uh, I'm going to say Clovis, Clovis. Could be Clovis. Could be Clovis. Uh, Clovis Hung, his last name, it's probably Hung, has set a new record at Fullerton College in California by becoming the youngest ever gra- uh, graduate. Not only is he a graduate, he's graduated with five degrees, Steph. He's 12 years old. He's graduated with five degrees. Uh, he also, and this funny thing, you think, oh, he's got no time to be a kid. Uh, well, he actually plays basketball five days a week, sometimes the whole week, because he has games as well. Plays uh, Minecraft. Also has a civil air patrol and bo- boy scouting groups that he is a part of. And has a passion for travel. He jetted off to the Middle East over summer to soak in the history with five degrees under his belt. A sixth on the way. He's looking to a future in aerospace, engineering, piloting, or pediatrics. Wow. Take your pick, son. Why not do all at the same time? And play in the NBA. And finally, a man whose Tesla caught fire on a highway, uh, when he reported this to the uh, Tesla customer service team, so he uh, got a flat tyre, pulled over, heard the car shaking, stepped away, engulfed in flames, rang the customer service team at Tesla, and they asked him if he could bring it into the service centre. Do you mind bringing it in for us? We'll just check it over and make sure everything's A-OK. He's like, um, yeah, there's a small problem. It's currently on fire in the middle of the highway. When he finally got through uh, to... To the call service, they were shocked to realise the mistake that they had made, mm-hmm. um, and insurance will pay for it all. Blah blah blah. blah. But there you go. Just a little uh, Tesla warning for anyone out there who's thinking of going followed, EV. Followed a Tesla all the way to work today. Did you? Hmm. Yeah. Something about Tesla drivers. Even though I want one, um, I do have a fact, but I feel like we should hold it. Hold Thoughts. It, hold it. Come back. I want a fact. Sure. Subway. Yep. Do you like it? Can I say? Absolutely. I think they all taste the same. Wow. Doesn't matter what you get. I was talking about the New York subway. Oh, uh, okay. No, nah, just kidding. Um, doesn't matter what you get, they all taste the same, all taste like plastic, all taste like sugar. I feel like I need to go, all taste like sugar because uh, did you know that the sugar content in subway rolls is so high that they're not, they theoretically cannot be classified as bread. Really? Yeah, and in Ireland, Ireland, they're not allowed. They're, they're not bred in Ireland. Are they sugar rolls. Well, yeah, something like that. But yeah, they're, they're so high in sugar. And you heard it here first, right here on ECNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. <laughs> <laughs> heck of a fact. Heck of a fact. I've just looked up Subway rolls, and I can use Subway rolls yoga mats. I don't think so. Subway rolls not bred. Irish court rolls. I'm going to investigate that more. You'll hear more about that before four o'clock. We're coming up to one o'clock. We're going NRL after one. We're talking to Dan Talentai out of Australia. Time to talk some NRL now. What a weekend it was. I think that's how the Australian broadcaster, what a game we've had. Just upsets up the wazoo. Indigenous Round provided just game after game of entertainment. I absolutely loved it. Dan Talentai. 
He's the editorial lead for NRL.com and he joins us now. Dan, uh, we saw so much, uh, so much unexpected, so much enterprise from the round. What a weekend. Yeah, what a weekend indeed. Thanks for having me. I like the phrase, uh, upsets up the wazoo. Uh, that is, if that doesn't sum up the weekend, then what did? Yeah, look, some incredible performances from teams. West Tigers putting on 60. You had the Dragons getting a win under their interim coach. Just a really, really good round. Uh, across everything, you know, obviously a really important round for the game with the Indigenous record, but on field, the product continues to deliver and we've got an incredibly tight race for the title uh, as we head into the State of Origin period now. Um, well, I want to pick my way through a few of the games. The Panthers uh, took on the Broncos, um, a rear Broncos home game, he says, tongue-in-cheek. Um, <laughs> did, did we see, with that score line of 15-4, did we see the importance of Josh Reynolds to the Broncos? Yeah, Adam Reynolds, yeah. Uh, Adam Reynolds, sorry, uh, yeah. Absolutely, his importance to that side can't be understood. Oh, look, I thought uh, Ezra Mann and Jock Madden did a good job together. Brisbane were perhaps a little bit unfortunate on a couple of uh, no tries there. They had some opportunities, but just couldn't quite ice them. Um, and I think had those taken place, we might have seen a different scoreline. Look, without doubt, Adam Reynolds adds so much to that Broncos side. And so missing him, as they have done this game and then obviously last week uh, in the time that he spent off against Melbourne, they've certainly missed him. Um, and they'll certainly be grateful for him to come back into that side. Uh, but I think also what it did show is that Penrith really can just grind out an opposition and they're happy to score two tries and back their defence to win and, and they are once again looking like being one of the teams to beat in the competition this year. I watched with interest the Dragons-Roosters game. Uh, the Dragons picking up the win and at full time, the human in me felt so sorry for Griffin um, who would have been watching at home going, why are they playing like that eventually? Now I'm gone. Yeah, they really did turn it on. And look, there's, I think, probably a few parts that obviously they were really disappointing last week in Ben Hunt's 300th. And I think being back home this week, uh, they would have been certainly keen to um, produce a performance that kind of um, paid up to their fans. They've been on a really tough performance of late. Certainly, you know, it would have been good to see those performances under Anthony Griffin, but hard not to feel happy for interim coach Ryan Carr uh, in his first game to have a finish like that. Uh, the person I also felt sorry for was. Uh, Corey Rosso, who's one of the NRL journalists here, who had a uh, just a little bit of a difficult match report to write that one uh, with a few late tries going on. But what a finish. Uh, obviously, the crossfield kick in the last play of the game certainly set up um, a memorable win for the Dragons. And I think everyone will be hoping that that result can kind of kickstart a run of form for them. Uh, incredibly, they won the game and still moved to the bottom of the ladder with some other teams down there winning. But um, you think if they play like that most weeks, then they won't be on the bottom for long. Uh, the Rabbitohs, slowly but surely the last few weeks, pretty much every NRL expert is saying they're the team to beat, they're the team to beat, they've got premiers, they've got grand final champions written all over them, and then the Eels dust them by 20. What's going on in that one? Yeah, really, really good question. Uh, Parramatta really surprised me here. I was probably with many people and thinking South Sydney would roll pretty comfortably through this one, particularly given um, the perform that they've had over a number of the competitions elite in the last few weeks, but Parramatta were kind of on top early and I thought really controlled the game well. I thought the kicking game of Mitchell Moses was excellent. Uh, the running game of Dylan Brown really troubled the eel. Uh, it troubled the Rabbitohs. And I think, look, maybe this is a, a, not a little bad reality check for the Bunnies. You know, they've been obviously playing really well and playing really good attacking footy and, and their defence has been certainly really strong as well. I think that'll be the thing that Jason Demetrio will be most disappointed with, conceding uh, 36 points to the Eels. I think he'll certainly want to tidy that up uh, this week is obviously they go into the origin period and um, yeah they obviously take on a Canberra side this week that 
Um, you know, we'll be coming off a similarly disappointing result, which we'll get to, and I think a really interesting game to see how both of those two teams bounce back. Yeah, I can skip the Sharks-Knights because I think it's the only game that happened where people expected that result 26-6 to the Knights. But the West Tigers, 66 points scored by allegedly the worst team in the comp against the Cowboys, who in recent times have been fantastic. Turned down midweek by Sean Johnson with a million-plus offer, allegedly. Luke Brooks, all the spotlight on him, turned in the best performance. I, I just can't believe that scoreline. It's, it's staggering. Uh, it's obviously the most points the Tigers have ever scored in a game, and it's hard not to feel good for Luke Brooks. So I guess regardless of what team you support, and I'll be pretty unashamed here, this has a lot of work for the Tigers for nine years, and I've got a very big soft spot for, for Luke in particular. Um, he's, yeah, obviously copped a lot of criticism, and some of that is, yeah, as a result of his performances, and some of that's been unfair, but... Um, to see him go out in his 200th game after playing at Leichhardt Oval, the ground that he grew up playing on as a kid, as a junior coming through, to be able to celebrate at home, um, to have the crowd cheer his name, it's really hard to not feel good for him. And I think a really, really important result for the Tigers um, and for Tim Sheens in that, you know, the club's been talking to us for a long time about these, um, this is the plan, it's a long-term plan, we want to bring kids through, we've got a style that we want to play. And I think it's been really hard to see. Um, but on the weekend, I thought we saw the style of play that they wanted to play. They were fast. They moved the ball well. I thought Stafford Toa in the centres was superb. Uh, Stefano Tukamano, Picorosau, they both moved into the origin camp as a result of their performances. And I think if the Tigers continue to play like that, uh, yeah, but defensively, they've still got some work to do, but they will continue to score points and they're going to be a really hard team to beat. The question, as always, for the Tigers is can they do it in back-to-back weeks? Uh, they've obviously got the bye this weekend, but um, be all certainly plenty of interest into their next performance and whether. What about the Cowboys? I and mean, when you see near enough to a fifty-point drubbing, yes, the Tigers played well, but the Cowboys, geez, there's some concerns there. Yeah, there is, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what changes Todd Payton makes to that side. Obviously, they have had a lot of forwards out. Um, Jeremiah Nanai missing, uh, obviously Jason Tamalolo's been sidelined, James Tamau they signed and was missing. Um, but there's still certainly a handful of Origin players and certainly a handful of other experienced players in that side, and they shouldn't be getting beat by a scoreline like that. And I think, look, it'll be interesting what changes Todd Payton makes to that side to try and get a response. Um, I thought some of the decisions by the outside backs were, were really poor. I think really trying to uh, solve situations themselves rather than collectively. I know that's something that. Todd's been speaking about a lot uh, in his post-game presses in the way in which defensively they've got players that are trying to solve the situation themselves rather than trusting the team around them. Um, And I think on a night like that, it really just got away from them. I'm really interested to see how they bounce back. Um, Obviously, yeah, it's certainly a tough tough result um, and it doesn't get any easier. They play Parramatta this week. Um, And certainly you'd be looking to at least see an improved performance because like you said, they had been going so well. Mm. Um, Just a really, really disappointing night for the club. And the last one I mentioned before we talk a little bit of origin, the Bulldogs, uh, they were down 14-0 at halftime. They won the second half 20-4. to It's too soon to say dogs of war. I feel like there's a long, long way to go. But <laughs> what theatre that end of that game was. Yeah, an incredible finish. Look, and really, if the old cliche could ever ring, ring true, a game of two halves, this was it. Uh, the Titans had, I think, 65% of the ball and similar territory in the first half. Could have been up by probably 26 or 30 points if they'd iced some of the chances. And then in the second half, it was all the Bulldogs. Uh, a big Matt Burton bomb that uh, was spectacularly taken out of the air by Jake Avarillo, who's playing some really good footy at the moment, uh, kind of kick-started their run. And then 
Burton set up another try very quickly to Adokar. And from then, it was the Bulldogs who had all the momentum. Uh, took them a little bit of while to get over the line with that late Jaden Nockenbore try. But I think the way they performed in the second half, there's certainly no uh, doubting that they um, were deserving of those two points. And I think really interesting to note is the way in which the Bulldogs are competing this year. I think their footy probably hasn't been as free-flowing as teams would have liked, um, but they're really competing well, and that's a great thing for, for fans, Canterbury fans, but for fans of the NRL to see a competitive Bulldogs team. Um, quick look, a cursory glance over the Maroons squad. Uh, I guess the notables for me, Reese Walsh starts. Uh, no Kalen Ponga. Uh, no, like he's an absolute lock, it seems, every year, Dane Gagai, and he's suited to mm. origin. What are the big talking points for you out of that Maroon squad? Yeah, those two, I think you nailed them on the head there. The fact that Reese Walsh has been picked to make his debut over Kalen Ponga, I think it's a big one. I think Walsh has obviously been superb this year, and Kalen had troubles with head knocks. I think on his day, we all know what Kalen can produce, so that's a big call by Billy Slater. Um, I think the bigger call is, yeah, as you said, leaving out Dane Gagai, who has been an incredible performer at origin level for such a long time, uh, picking not only picking a young player in Hammerstone Tabuai Fado, but picking him essentially out of position, given he's playing fullback at the uh, is a massive call and one that's a really big gamble um, for the Maroons, given that he will most likely be coming up against Tom Trevojevic. Um, probably the other big one for me is no Kurt Cape. He's a player that's a real handy uh, name to have in the squad. You can play him in the back row. You can move him into the centres if you get an injury. Uh, he's been left out altogether with David Fafita and Tom Gilbert named in the back row. Obviously, Fafita's playing Gilbert, I think, is really suited to that origin level. Um, but that's another big call that uh, will be interesting how that happens in game one. Uppy Coruscant in, Mr. Cook out. I didn't see that one coming. I love Coruscant, though. Yeah, I don't think many people did, to be probably brutally honest with you. I think Coruscant's form over the last three weeks has probably got him there. And certainly the performance that he put in for the Tigers against the Cowboys uh, will have done himself no favours. I think it's a really interesting one, too, given that the Blues have picked Nico Hines on the bench, who's not at all a hooker. So it's looking like Coruscant will most likely play 80 minutes, which is a really big call, given he doesn't even play 80 minutes at mm. club level. He's got Jake Simpkin playing with him right there in hooker. So a really interesting one. Appy's obviously been there before and knows what it's about. And the form of Nico Hines means he kind of needs to be in the team somewhere. Um, but it'll be really interesting whether Coruscant can have the same sort of impact that he can have uh, in, in spurts, whether he can have that across the 80 minutes uh, come game one. And there was a bit of pressure on the likes of uh, Tedesco, Tommy Trebojevic. He sort of made it impossible to leave him out, the Sea Eagles fullback, with his performance yesterday. Yeah, hard to not forget when he's uh, scored a hat-trick, had a hand in a few others, and really just dominated the Raiders altogether in Canberra. Um, look, I think there'd been a lot of questions over Tom's form in the last month. That probably was looking at it with someone like Campbell Graham being in, but I think having certainly delivered at that origin level before, I think we know what Tom can do, we know what he can produce. Um, and having seen him be back to near his best on the weekend, I think, yeah, certainly hard to leave him out. Um, Brad Fittler will certainly be hoping he can produce that again uh, in game one. Brilliant, Dan. Always enjoy your insights, buddy. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. There's Dan Talentire, uh, editorial lead for NRL.com. That's where you find everything to do with the NRL. Sammy, um, have you got the teams there or the squads for the origin? I think they've just named squads, not... Oh, I think Queensland might have started. Queensland has named their team, which is which is sort of weird. And, and um, there are 
New South Wales, I don't think it's on the NRL website, but their journalists are talking as if the, squ- the, na- the team's been named, so I don't know if that's somewhere else. But um, I'll give you the, the Maroon squad first. So um, starting at fullback, Reese Walsh, uh, the two wingers, Selwan Komo, Murray, Taulangi, uh, the two centres, Valentine Holmes, Hamiso Tabuai Fido, Cameron Munster and DCE in the halves, Tommy Flegler, Lindsay Collins, the two props, Ben Hunt, the starting hooker, then Tom Gilbert, David Fafita in the second row, and Patrick Carrigan, the 13. On the bench, they've got Harry Grant, Tino Fasoumalaawi, Ruben Cotter, and Jai Arrow. That is a stacked interchange for Queensland. <laughs> Gee, they could all be playing. They could all be starting. And then their 18th man is Tom Dearden, and the 19th is Christian Welch. So in the past, I've looked at Queensland's team compared to New South Wales and thought, oh, you know, there's a lot of inexperience there. And But, you know, given the last couple of series and the fact they won last year, you look at that and go, that is a damn good team. And they just step up, Steph. I mean, even guys like Lindsay Collins and Tommy Flegler, who are playing pretty well for their club teams, when they play Origin, different ball game. Same with Valentine Holmes. Um, you know, we, we talked about Dane Gagai. They're just different players in Origin. Mm. Um, the New South Wales team, so... What I might do is actually just tell you the team, and then I can try and work out um, who they, how they're going to play it. So uh, we have got Josh Adokar. Oh, I'll, I'll just read through the team as they've announced it. Josh Adokar, Nathan Cleary, Tyson Frizzell, Campbell Graham, Payne Haas, Nico Hines, Arpi Corusau, Jerome Luai, Liam Martin, Latrell Mitchell, Cam Murray, Tavita Pangai Jr., Juna Bolo, Bolo, as they say over in Aussie, um, James Tedesco, Brian Toto. Tom Trevojevic, Isaiah Yo, Hudson Young. So, um, that's a good team too, man. That, I mean, it always like I always look at New South Wales and be like, that's unbeatable. So, uh, I would say you've got um, Addo Carr and Toto on the wings. You have James Tedesco at fullback. You probably got um, well, you do. You'd have Latrell and Tommy in the centres. Then you've got Nathan and. Jerome Luai in the halves, Api Corusau the hooker. Uh, the starting props are probably. Oh, this one's actually interesting. Um, I say Isaiah Yo's the 13. You can lock that one in now. Um, I guess Tavita Pangai alongside Payne Haas. Payne Haas, definitely. And then the second row, you've got Tyson Frizzell probably partnering up with Cam Murray. I imagine they're going to have Cam Murray starting in the second row, and then you'd have that would put uh, Liam Martin, um, Hudson Young, Junior Paulo on the on the on the interchange. I've just alongside Nico Hines. There's a name that hasn't been mentioned in either squad. Yeah. Kempi's favourite, Nelson Asomasofalona. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a Kiwi, unfortunately, yeah. for State of O. Um, wouldn't he yeah. be, he'd be, he's made for origin. The, the, thing, the thing is, Freddie, Freddie as well always picks, like Queensland more so picks on experience and temperament as opposed to just current form. I think Reese Walsh is the exception there. They've just picked them based on the fact that he's having a great year. But Freddie just picks on, on how well you're playing. So if you're playing great, you're in the team. He doesn't really have time for sentiment. Um, I've always thought New South Wales talent, Queensland ticker. Hundred percent, oh, and that's what um, Matty Johns. That's what they, you know. That feud over there was talking about as well. Was that New South Wales often is a team full of stars that sort of don't shine when they come together, and Queensland's always just a team of guys. But they're good players. I mean, Cherry Evans, Ben Hunt. I mean, these are some of the best guys in the game. But as always on paper, you'd say New South Wales. TAB got odds up for State of Oak next oh, Wednesday. Definitely will. Um, you'd think New South Wales would still be the favourites, but it's probably closer than it has been in the past. I'm gonna say a dollar. $1.60, $1.70, New South Wales? Just keep talking a little bit. Okay. I'll, I'll get to it. Um, and I'll tell you what, that, t- that Tigers result, not only was it a massive upset Ridiculous. that they beat the Cowboys, but to put 66 points on them, 
you just it's one of the most shocking results I've seen of recent history, Steph. Mm. I mean, top the top team will lose to the bottom team. That happened last year, right? The uh, the Eels lost to the Tigers, I think, when they were nearly in first position. Um, but you just sixty six points is a whole different kettle of fish. Um, they haven't got the odds for the opening game that I can see, but they've got state of origin winner of the series. Mm. New South Wales one seventy, Queensland two fifteen. Wales pretty good on one seventy. Um, Wouldn't it be far off that though for game one? Would it? Uh, who's at home? Oh, it's neutral, isn't it? It's Adelaide. It's Adelaide. The Wally Lewis winner, State of Origin. Favourite, Nathan Cleary. Second, Cam Munster. Third, James Teddy Tedesco. Top try scorer, State of Origin. Uh, the Fox, ah, 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 $6. And Mr. Uh, player of the match, game one, Nathan Cleary, five fifty. So, yeah, it's all leaning towards New South Wales. All oh, leaning towards New um, South Wales. Robbie says they do have them up. Robbie? Oh, I can't yeah. find them. Yeah, one sixty-five New South Wales, uh, two eighteen Queensland. Oh, not bad. Game. One sixty to one seventy. I'll take it. Why can't I find it? Oh, here it is. Okay, I was on the wrong tab. Sorry, thing. There we go. Who wins? Uh, well, no, but this is the problem. I always makes. So I go to New South Wales, and then Queensland come out and fight. There's a rule in state of origin. Yeah, always take, take the, the underdog. Unders. Take, the, take underdog. the underdog. Take the underdog. And always take the unders as well. That first game has like. 16, 12 written all over it, you know, or 14, 12. What is the unders? Are the unders on there? Because the unders will be low. I guarantee it'll be like 30, 35 or oh, something. Oh, total points, you mean? Yeah. Total match points. And a half. 36. 36. There you go. There you go. Sam, take yeah. it under. Take Sam, the yeah. unders. Take what do you unders. think about these origin teams? Uh, Fano, are you happy with Reese Walsh, the former warrior? He'll always be a former warrior. <laughs> Getting the start out the back. Uh, no Damien Cook. And the thing is, I know how passionate New Zealanders get about state of origin. Keen to hear from you. We'll keep the lines open. 0800-150-811. What about West Tigers? 66. Is that an aberration? Or can they now go on? Have they unlocked? They've been patient. Benji, Tim Sheens, have they unlocked something with Wests? Do you care? You don't care? And what a win by the Warriors. They've moved up to seventh after last weekend. They were outside the eight. They're now up to seventh. Actually, Sam, very quickly before the break, does that massive round of upsets do the Warriors good or bad? Uh, did it very, very well because we needed the Titans to lose and we needed the Raiders to lose to stay well inside the top eight. So... Yeah. Thankfully, both of those happened. So, yeah, great results for us. And a tough match for us against the bye, but we got through it. And uh, a big two points, so we'll take that. We'll take that and we'll come back. Uh, let's go to the phones. Dino. Yeah, Steph, I was just talking about um, that, or listening to that league correspondent yep. that you always have. And I thought, look, I'm not a leaguey at all, but I love New Zealand sport and I love seeing New Zealanders, whether they're black, white, I don't care, going really, really good. The fact it's going to Hawke's Bay and it's almost sold out. Now, the Warriors have got everyone sort of talking about them. So we're not next year. When you get Cameron George on, the expense to fly Sydney, Auckland, or Gold Coast, Auckland, is exactly the same as Christchurch, Dunedin, where there's an international airport, if you know what I mean. Like, I'd love it to go to, to Greymouth. But why don't they play every second home game just in New Zealand at a different venue? So we... Cause we got the best stadium here in Dunedin for watching the Warriors. Mm. It doesn't matter what the weather's doing outside. It's going to be outstanding. Like, if if the Chiefs were home here, they'd go real close. But the Crusaders will probably tip them up now because it's wintertime. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a different animal air stadium. And it'd be great for rugby league. Yeah, your stadium in Dunedin, I've said it before, is just amazing. The atmosphere there with the roof. Um 
I know that some teams try and take their games elsewhere, but they need buy-in from the from the councils and all that sort of thing, and they don't get it. Uh, the Breakers, for example, they wanted to take a lot of their games around the country, but they couldn't get the tick from Christchurch. I think they tried Dunedin, they tried uh, Wellington, I think. Uh, don't quote me on these, but they found it really hard for the city to embrace it because it's not just about we'll play there, sell tickets, good as gold. I think it's a lot more involved. Uh, Sammy, you're closer to the Warriors operation than me. Yep. We've spoken to Cam George about that, and this is exactly that. Um, they've tried you know, hammer and tongs to get games at other venues around New Zealand, and they need the council to stump up. And unfortunately, it's your local council you probably need to be uh, going at, Dino, because they are not the ones who want to stump up the cash, particularly Christchurch, I've heard, is very, very stubborn at getting other um, events at their venues. So um, the Warriors, it's not for the want of trying. They'd love to do a tour well, around thing, New Zealand. The thing I'd love is the bloody other NRL teams who say the Warriors did so much for us, bring those games to New Zealand. Yeah, I, am I still on there, Steph? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I... I get that. I don't want to sound disrespectful, but I want to get all New Zealand behind the Warriors. You know, so as much as you'd still get a great crowd here if it was Brisbane playing South or something like that. Like I don't mm. really follow, I love State of Origin, but I don't really follow it that intensely. But I just look at when Samoa made that World Cup final or semi final, whatever it was, early this year. And the streets of Dunedin, honestly, I had no idea what was going on. The flags, the Tongan, I, I, I thought it was going to be a war. I didn't realise it was rugby league. I thought, what's going on here? There was just cars and horns. and I mean, that, the amount of cars and flags, they couldn't buy a Samoan or Tongan flag in Dunedin for love nor money. So if we've got to get to, onto the council, I don't know how you get onto them, but it's worth trying because, you know, we get you get more people supporting them down this end of the planet if we see more of them. Mm. And if Cameron wants to come, well, surely someone down. There must be someone that's influential in Dunedin listen to this channel that can pull a few strings because, man, we get some crap here. But mm. Why don't we get some good stuff? Yeah, rest assured, uh, Cam George has tried, particularly uh, particularly South Island, actually, because he stands by the New Zealand Warriors moniker and he would love to take it around the country. We've got time for one quick yeah, move before. Radio, Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Uh, Gary from our part. G'day, Gary. G'day. Hey, uh, listen to those teams and the there's one glaring omission there for New South Wales, where I always think it's a glaring omission. Dylan Edwards, I just don't see how he doesn't make it there. He is one of the most underrated fullbacks in the competition. I like him too, and Sammy, Sammy's nodding as well. He likes him too, but you know you've yeah. got you've got Tedesco, you've got Trebojevic. Um Nico can yeah. play a fullback they as well. Flash carries, aren't they? Yeah, and the problem you, know, you, you want the guy, that solid defensive guy that just never lets you down. You look at his carries back, he always gets those extra metres. He's just in the right position all the time. He covers so much ground. Yeah, I, I really like him. Yeah, there's there's a case probably to be had for him playing better than Tedesco this year at the moment. And I know it's origin. I know, you know, players play better differently when it comes to it. But I think Gary's got a point there, Steph. Like, you'd feel very hard done by if you were dealing with what more do you need to do? You're a Clive Churchill medalist. Nico Hines was the same, though, remember? Had amazing season last year. Couldn't get in the starting team. Same this year. He's he's off the bench. Mm. So it's just it is just the nature of it. You know, thirteen can only go into thirteen. Mm. So uh, yeah, you get a lot of really quality players missing out. Marty Holler, um, good stuff, Gary. We got to get to the news. Thanks for calling, bud. All right, catch up. Let's go to Johnny Mac. Back to the lines we go. Zade, our life member. G'day, Zade. 
Hi, can you, is there any chance you can read out the Queensland team, please? Um, I think I can, or Sam, have you got it there, Sammy? Yeah, I've got it here again. Uh, so uh, I'll just go, this is one through uh, 17 for years eight. So Reese Walsh, Salwan Cobbo, Valentine Holmes, Hamiso Tabuai Fido, Murray Taulangi, Cameron Munster, Daly Cherry Evans, Thomas Flegler, Ben Hunt, Lindsay Collins, Tom Gilbert, David Fafita, Patrick Carrigan, Harry Grant, Tino Fasor, Ari, Ruben Cotter, Jai Arrow, and then you've got Tom Dearden and Christian Welch as the sort of extra men in the squad. Pretty strong team there. Heck yes. Daly Cherry Evans, Mun- Munster... Um, all the all the Broncos boys have been playing pretty well, so I th- I think Queensland can take the state of our out this year. I've got a, I've got a great feeling about um, Queensland. Yeah, I'm obviously a big big Maroons fan. I've never been um, to I've never been to Sydney before, but I've I've been to Gold Coast a handful of times. So that's kind of why I've kind of picked Queensland, and I've always really loved the players that they've had, you know. So and I I think Billy Slade is a good coach, you know. Why he's still young. Um, you know, obviously, it's interesting that that they pushed him straight to the state of origin job before an NRL job. I'm I'm pretty sure that's not like con for your first ever job as a coach. But um, yeah, pretty you know, Billy Slater he did pretty well last year and is obviously first ever. Um, you know, he, he obviously won Origin last year for um for Queensland. I mean, I know you've got to, I know you've got it's got to have good players, but it also obviously shows that he's not a bad coach either. You know, and he's 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 young, where a lot of coaches in, in rugby league, uh, quite of them, uh, most of the dominant coaches right now seem quite experienced and more on the older side, like your Craig Bellamy's and uh, Wayne Bennett's and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's good that they've got Billy Slater um, at the helm, you know, and they've also got, I think Cameron Smith's involved there as well somehow, isn't he? Yeah, and, I think he's involved as part of the part of the crew, yep. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to State of O next uh, Wednesday. And uh, quickly before I go, um, great win for the Blues there, Ken, and um, can't wait to go back to the Fortress Eden Park on um, Saturday night, hopefully to beat the boys from Wally the Canes and um, hopefully hold that fourth spot and um, get a home quarter in a few weeks. But, um, yeah, Mark Talia back to how he plays. Zahn Sullivan was great. Um, Bowden Barrett looks good while he was on. Apparently, it's not too bad. He just had a bit of a cut on his foot, so that's why he... um, had to go off and get a few stitches, and they couldn't really put his boot back on. So that's why apparently there was a bit of blood, but he should be all good to go. And um, one, one other thing, did you say Jack Goodhue might be leaving to come to the Blues? Were you saying that? That's a rumour. <clears throat> that's a rumour. That, that, that'd be a great signing, that Jack Goodhue at the Blues. That's true, yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm so impressed with Bryce Heem. I am so. I was not expecting him to be he as good as he's been. Weekend, yeah. He has to start. Him and, him and Rico have to be starting this weekend. Mm. 12 and centre I think but right. yeah he's a great player great team thank you cheers buddy there's eight hey, hey you mentioned a good point actually there with all the Broncos playing so five across State of O with Payne Haas Paddy Carrigan um, Reese Walsh Reese Walsh Tommy Flegler and Selwyn Cobbo now will they travel to Napier now they might have played with the game on Wednesday night they might have played if it was in Australia no, you don't play the week before Origin you, you play the week after no, no, but they, it's up to the club coaches and the players. Like they can, some of them do. Some of them will play this weekend. It's not like all of these guys are out this weekend. Are you sure? Yeah, hundred percent. Some of them. It's it's really up to the player. I coach. think you should say ninety nine percent. Well, ninety. Well, 
there will be there will be a lot of them that don't play. I get that, but my point is that given that it's a Napier, it's almost a guarantee that none of those five are going to be there. And when you're talking Selwyn, Cobo, Payne, Haas, Paddy Carrigan, what's the TAB offering the All Warriors right now, Steph? Mm. Dare you? Dare you go and have a little look and a dabble? Mm. I'm definitely going to have a little look. Let's have a chat to Joey. Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. G'day, Sammy. Yeah, when Brisbane are starting to come strong, so are Queensland. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. Don't we? Yeah, look, look um, you know, I'm with, yeah, with Dino down in, in the south too, you know. The, if the Warriors can take take a game down there, you know, you'll get the crowds down there as much as you'll get them anywhere at the moment, especially the way the, the Warriors are going. And, um, you know, for the, for the Queensland side, you know, Ponga, I sort of half expected he may not get picked because um, he... He's only come back and played two games, and he's getting a lot of head knocks. And yes, he played a man of the match performance uh, against uh, not so much strong side. Um, and last week he got another head knock and went off for ten minutes, even though they said he was okay. And Reese Walsh just gives you that that extra. He's got that you know that much pace, uh, Sammy and, and, and um, Steph. It's unbelievable when he gets the ball. He, gets, he you know he puts himself into positions. Gives us the outsides massive amount of room, you know. And Dane Gagoy, to me, has not been playing the football. That even though he's proven, and I know they pick and stick normally, um, there's other guys coming through. You know, he's had 21 state of origins, and um, he played all right on the weekend for for um, Newcastle Knights, but he hasn't been been firing that great off, you know, at the moment. So I think I think um, the the fullback for the Dolphins is a very good pick. Because he's got he's got speed as well, and you you can't you can't coach speed. It's just it's there, you know. It's like Bowden Barrett and, and those guys, and it's just fantastic, um, to be honest, you know. And, and you know, Steph, just before I go, not another bloody away game for the Broncos. <laughs> I can't believe it, mate. You've been you know? dudded by the draw, haven't you? Got another away game. We've got another away game, Sammy. I can't believe that. You know, They're racking up. What is that now? Two. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we've got two. We've got three games in Sydney this year. Bloody hell! God, I can't you, believe it. Such that you get. Oh, but the last thing I'll say, Steph. Go, go the boys. mighty turbos. Yeah. Get up the turbos. Good on you, Joey. <laughs> See you, boy. Um, are we breaking here and back with? Uh, yeah, with the TAB. Yeah, and we'll go through some of these odds. Very shortly, talking to Paulie Maori. Just to clarify, so I've looked up the rules. Before round 13, so this is uh, so round 13 before Origin 1, players are not allowed to play. They can play round 14, which is a few days after. Round 15, a normal round. Round 16, which is before Origin 2, Origin players can't play. They can play the following week. Round 18, normal round. And then round 19, Origin players can't play. And then they can back up. So they're allowed to play a three-day backup Origin club game, but they can't go three-game backup club game Origin. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I, I never knew it was an actual rule. I just thought it was almost unspoken, but mm. plenty of texters are setting us right so as well. So when you think about the Brisbane Broncos, so those players aren't available this week. Well, that's why they're forty-six at the TAB. And then they'll play Origin. Then they're allowed to play the Sharks. So you, you just fade the Broncos the next two weeks. I think so. You yeah. probably would. Because yeah. you're going to have a, a lesser team, then you're going to have a knackered team. But anyway, Paulie Mawadi. Jeez, is it a minefield setting NRL odds? Not talking origin, but NRL odds. Now the squads have been named with ins and outs. Yeah, that's right, Steph. It's a what, split round uh, this weekend uh, with the Warriors 
fortunately picking up the Broncos uh, the week before uh, Origin. So they'll meet a significantly different team to the normal Broncos team that we would usually see. And because of that, the Warriors are very warm favourites. They're $1.46, the Warriors, to win this weekend, Saturday night. The Broncos are two sixty-five, or they're six-and-a-half-point favourites, the Warriors. And, of course, they're coming off the bye, so they'll be super fit. They might even get a player or two back as well. We'll wait for Teamless Tuesday. Um, but the money so far uh, is with the Warriors, and they're, they're a hard team to back when they're favourites, but I just think they're in a good spot here coming off the bye and meeting a weakened Broncos team. So early money on the Warriors at $1.46 and minus 6.5 as well. Does Warriors fan Paul Mawari take on the Rumour Tuckers and head up to uh, Hawke's Bay on a Saturday and cheer the faithful? Uh, I have a prior engagement uh, this Saturday night. What's your, what's your wife got on? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's Linger's housewarming. So oh, well, I'll you've got to go to that. I'll be there. Yeah, you've got to go to that, yeah. You're the top of so, everyone's but, uh, invite we'll list the, for, for housewarnings. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the tally on. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. All right, and State of Origin Market's out as well. Yep, they certainly are. And the Queenslanders are slight outsiders uh, with the bookies. They're $2.18 head-to-head. New South Wales at $1.65. Uh, and they're three-and-a-half-point favourites, uh, favourites the New South Welshman. Um, I, I don't know. The, every time Queensland put up a team and, and uh, I, I guess pundits look at them, they think, oh, well, this team doesn't just, just doesn't match up man for man against this New South Wales squad. It doesn't match up, and yet they pull something out of the bag. Mm. However, it's not been enough this season for punters to back them with a lot of authority. We're taking money on New South Wales at the one sixty five. Punters um, really are liking the look of that New South Wales side. So yeah, there's that's where the money's going for State of Origin one. Mate, the, the Queensland um, supporters, they get paid on Thursday, so get ready. <laughs> get ready for them to unload, mate. <laughs> we'll keep them safe. <laughs> keep them safe. Uh, trying to find uh, the marquee match. I think there's two. It's the last two games of Super Rugby this weekend. Uh, the Blues hosting the Hurricanes, who w- will get uh, their, their best players are allowed to play again, which is good. They've obviously done their homework and uh, pleased the headmaster. And the Brumbies <laughs> a- a- at home against the Chiefs, two big clashes. Yeah, and the Brumbies will be looking to bounce back after the weekend as well. And the price has me interested. Two dollars ninety, the Brumbies. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't mind the Brumbies at two ninety or uh, them getting the points. Um, the Chiefs, uh, well, they, I, I guess them and the Hurricanes last week played a bit of water polo. Um, to be fair, so uh, but but I yeah, this spot I like the Brumbies. And the Canes, um, getting back Artie Severe and Barrett, um, that'll be a big, big boost for those boys. So I don't mind them either um, at 245. But the Brumbies really stick out to me. Uh, at the moment, um, if you're looking for rugby multis, then you must include the Crusaders at $1.11 because that's where what everyone else is doing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're also throwing in uh, the Fijian Drua at $1.25 up against uh, Moana Pacifica of uh, yeah, and a little bit of, uh, I guess, turmoil at the moment with um, players, coaches, this way and that way. But the Drua at $1.25 and the Crusaders are the uh, most featured teams 
in Super Rugby Maltese at this early stage this weekend. Very good. Very quickly, Michael Block, PGA Championship, the club pro. Did anyone have a sniff on him at top 20, top 40, anything like that? Uh, he, he was he wasn't a very popular uh, player to be fair. He's pretty much everyone knows him now. Those stats, boy oh boy, <laughs> did he ever thought of him. <laughs> a hole in one on the on, on your uh, the final round of the PGA Championship. You get a hole in one, and you're playing alongside Rory McIlroy, uh, and then you um, what you hold on, you get up and down on the last. Um, to stay what in that top 15 and then automatically qualify for a, another few events. So just a sensational story for our uh, good friend Blocker. Uh, and uh, hopefully he can continue on with it. And just looking at the halftime between the um, Heat and the Celtics, uh, Heat up big time. And punters jumped on before the game started as well. They were around 245, 250 Outsiders of the Miami Heat, even though they had won game, uh, games one and two in Boston, they were still outsiders at home. Punters jumped on, and um, there's a significant liability on the Heat, who are now twelve with a, what is it, an 18-point lead uh, early on in the third quarter. The Celtics are at 550, and one punter jumped on the Heat to win the whole shebang just last month. They were paying four, $426.00. He put a hundy on, Oosh. returned 42000 oh. So, there we go. Sorry, Paulie, but go that punter. <laughs> <laughs> That's foresight. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Awesome chatting. Paul Moati, tob.co.nz, or download the app. Oh, 42 grand. I'd love a piece of that. Uh, just an update on the Eastern Conference Finals, where Miami have a 2-0 lead, so they went to Boston and won both games, and Miami are now leading by, what's that, 22, 74, 52. Remembering Miami came in this uh, ranked 8 of 8, and Boston uh, 2, that, that bet's just rocked my world. Miami at $426 a month ago, and it looks like they're potentially going to sweep Boston, and I do very much feel sorry for Rubinio and the producers booth, because he's off to the US to go to Game 5 and Game 7 in Boston. And they might not even be on Rubinio. Not good. Not, not good. Sorry to bring that up, mate. Yeah. Sorry to bring that up. Uh, we're going to talk in the next hour a little bit of A-League. And um, Simon Hill, who's the wonderful commentator over there, huge Man City fan as well. So Man City chat, A-League chat. We've found the final. It's a couple of weeks. Simon Hill after the news. Well, the A-League is very much at the pointy end of the season. We've had home and away semi-finals, the voice of the A-League, and also the host of the global game on SEN joins us now. Simon Hill, welcome in, Simon. Good to speak to you. How are you, mate? Very well. Uh, Before I talk A-League, I'm just going to say five words, and I want your reaction. Come on, you blue boys. (laughs) <laughs> well, I hope you're right. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we got the title yesterday. I presume you're talking about Man City. You know I am. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got the big two to come. The FA Cup final against uh, the other mob across town and then the big one, the Champions League final against Inter. So, yeah, there's a chance for, for City to make a bit of history. And uh, obviously, as a City fan myself, I hope we do. 
Um, a question for you as a when I say I'm not a city fan, my brother in law would be as massive a fan as you. He born, raised, lives Manchester, and he's yeah. blue till the cows come. It doesn't matter where in the world he is, he watches every minute of every single game. Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Haaland, what are Man City like without them? What's their support crew like? Well, we got a good uh, glimpse into that last night because uh, Pep Guardiola made nine changes for the game against Chelsea uh, and they still won, <laughs> 1-0. So uh, Haaland and De Bruyne did make late cameos off the bench, um, but they went with Julian Alvarez up top. Um, uh, Phil Foden started, Rico Lewis, Cole Palmer. We actually had three academy graduates in the first team, which is... Uh, not something that happens too often, and a free transfer signing in goal, Stefan Ortega. So, uh, so much for the billions of dollars that have been spent. But uh, yeah, look, they've got a pretty good backup squad. Um, obviously, you wouldn't play them from the off against Inter or against United in the final. You rely on your, you know, your big guns for those matches. But uh, last night was a chance to give them uh, a start. Calvin Phillips is another one made his first start of the season. Sergio Gomez the same. Um, and, you know, Pep Guardiola has basically got two players for every position, which is uh, uh, the sort of position I think that every manager would love to be in. Um, talking to Simon Hill, uh, who'll be a familiar voice to you for people that watch the A-League. I'm always interested, people that live in the Southern Hemisphere, how and when Man City for you? For me, uh, well, I'm from Manchester, so uh, I was born there. So how do you decide between City and United then as a, as a Mancunian? Well, as a Mancunian? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it was ch- I didn't have any choice, really. Uh, all my family is blue. Uh, my dad's uh, been a City fan all his life, still is. Uh, he doesn't go anymore because he's, uh, he's a bit too old to walk between the car park and the stadium. Uh, my granddad was a City fan all his life. My great-granddad played for City in 1892, even before they were known as Manchester City. They were known as uh, Ardwick in those days. So this is like a family heirloom, or as we used to joke, a family disease that was handed down for many years until we started winning trophies. Um, so I, I didn't have any choice. Uh, you know, I, I didn't choose my football team. It was chosen for me. <laughs> I was, uh, I was one, one of the first members of uh, the Junior Blues organisation when they set that up in the mid-70s, number 596. I still remember my number. Um, so yeah it's it's just in my DNA and uh, you know I went to my first game when I was five years old and that was it there was there was no question as to who I was going to support or even the sport I was going to like and that, that was it here's your team get on with it <laughs> uh, let's go A-League we've got Melbourne City and we've got the Central Coast Mariners uh, they finished 1-2 on the table they were both reasonably comprehensive in their home and away semi-finals it's almost a rhetorical question but um, the two best teams are going to be playing in the final at Combank Stadium in a couple of weeks yeah yeah look that's normally the way it pans out it's not the same every year obviously but uh, you know the league table uh, doesn't lie normally and uh, I think I'd made mention of the fact before the Melbourne City Sydney FC semi-final. Uh, down the years, if you include the old National Soccer League, uh, there have been only five premiers that have failed to make the grand final in 37 seasons. You can now make that 38, wow. with City having qualified as well. So, you know, normal, uh, normal service is, is resumed in, in that regard. Uh, and the Mariners deserve to be there as well. They've had a terrific campaign. And as you say, we're, we're dominant really over the two legs against Adelaide. So I think we've got the two best teams. 
and uh, we'll see what happens on June the 3rd. Melbourne City have only lost three games all season and they finished 11 points clear of Central Coast. How much did we read into that trying to find a winner in the final? Well, obviously it's a one-off occasion and, you know, they can have an off day um, and the Mariners are certainly capable of winning it. Uh, they've got a lot of firepower, you know, Jason Cummings, Marco Tullio's in uh, amazing form at the moment, Benny and Cololo uh, and others. So th- they can certainly win it. And of course, and this is the controversial bit, uh, you know, they, they will probably have the vast majority of the support inside the stadium because it's being played in Sydney. Mm. Um, you know, in, in normal years, it would have been played at Amy Park, which is City's home ground where they haven't lost a home match all season, only the third team in history. A-League history, that is, to, to do that. So uh, that might just even things up a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I would imagine that if City played to their best, then they should be the champions. They, they've been top of the league for a reason. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that the Mariners have only failed to score, I think it's only one or two games this season. And one of those was against City. So I, I would say City are the favourites, but... Um, you know, don't rule out the Mariners for the reasons that I've outlined. For someone from the outside looking in, um, somewhat strange there's home and away semis and one game for the final. I'm not saying the final should be home and away, but it, it, it's a bit weird. Well, look, you know, I've got on record as saying that one of the ways out of the grand final impasse, if you like, is to move it to a two-legged grand final and then the team that earns the right to host the grand final gets the first leg um, on their own patch. And you can still have the decider in Sydney. But, uh, yeah, look, that's the way it's been structured. They've tinkered with the format quite a bit down. Ooh. Um, if it is going to be this, with the one-legged eliminations uh, finals, then the two-legged semis, then the one grand final, Okay. Um, but don't be changing it every two or three years because, uh, you know, that's when people lose the thread of the story, I think. Um, and we, we tend to do that too much, in my opinion, in the A-League. Um, but, you know, obviously they're searching for the right formulas and, you know, commercial interests have a big part to play in that. I understand that. Um, but, but you've also got to be fair to football fans and, uh, and keep the integrity of the competition going. So if this is their preferred model, well, okay, stick with it for the next five or ten years. But uh, history shows that they don't necessarily. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Uh, Administrators change their minds very quickly. Uh, Central Coast, they had, I think it would be, not overstating it, they were really poor from about 2015 Mm. through 2020. What's what's brought them back into favour? What work have they done that have enabled them to get to a grand final? It's a good question. And, you know, I think they, they won three wooden spoons in a row. I mean, they were by far the worst team on the pitch in the league for quite some time. Uh, and then they obviously got to a point where they decided they were going to go down a different road. And a lot of that was to invest in their academy um, and bring through young players um, in the Mariners' way, in inverted commas. Alan Stadjic started that process when he was head coach, got them into the finals for the first time in, I think, seven or eight seasons. And now they've gone on to uh, a different level under Nick Montgomery, uh, who, of course, was the academy coach uh, to start off with. So, 
you know, he knew all those young players, knew how good they were, knew how to integrate them, how to give them confidence uh, to play first-team football. Uh, so Monty's done a terrific job. This is their first grand final in 10 years. Um, and they're great to watch as well. You know, they've, they've got a really good playing style, a good balance between attack and defence. And you look at some of the young players that they've brought through. I'm just going to give you one example. Nectar Triantis, who, who was at Western Sydney Wanderers, didn't really get much of a look in, um, was on the periphery. Uh, he was brought over to Gosford. And now he's an automatic starter alongside Brian Kaltak, who's another one who, up until the start of this season, really, we didn't know an awful lot about. He's from Vanuatu, 29 years of age. And you thought, well, where's he been all these years? Why hasn't he been a pro footballer? But goodness me, he's been terrific. The, the pair of them, uh, alongside Marcelo and Murcher at the Wombats, I, I think are the, the best central defensive pairing in the competition. So, you know, that, that's testament to the work that Nick Montgomery has done it, his ability to spot a player, to develop a young player, um, and to, to mould them all into a really good functioning unit. And, uh, you know, they've got their rewards. Last thing, uh, Simon, expansion in the A-League, we're seeing the NRL have added teams. They're looking at different teams in, in various codes. How settled is the 12 teams? Um, I seem to recall there was an appetite for, for more teams joining the A-League. Um, is that still on the cards, and when would it happen? Well, yes, it's very much on the cards. I mean, uh, a couple of months ago, the, the APL, which is the umbrella group that runs the A-Leagues, men's and women's, uh, announced that they wanted to expand to 14 teams by the season after next. And the two markets they have targeted are Canberra and Auckland. So, you know, for, from your neck of the woods, you're going to have a New Zealand derby, providing they can, you know, get the owners that will put the money in. Uh, I'm told that is on track. Uh, who the who the people are who are going to fund it, I don't know. Um, but it's looking to be a good thing. You know, obviously more opportunities for players, coaches, administrators, dare I say, broadcasters as well. Um, and for football in New Zealand, I, I think it will be a real shot in the arm because you'll have two teams. You'll have a, you'll have a derby game uh, twice a season, which will hopefully generate some interest and some rivalry. Um, and for the competition as a whole, it, it will mean that we move to an even competition. And what I mean by that is we'll have 13 home, 13 away. You play, uh, you know, every other team once home and away. Uh, and that's a fairer competition uh, other than what we've got at the moment where you play some teams three times and the others twice. So the, the sooner we can get to 14 teams, the better. And, uh, you know, even going further to 16 and, and then integrating a national second division, which, of course, is on the cards as well. Um, so hopefully exciting times ahead, but uh, as ever, it'll depend on the dollars and who, if anyone, can provide them. It sort of semi-surprises me, <clears throat> Simon, that um, the A-League are looking at Auckland. I mean, I think that's fantastic, but I'm just thinking um, your other states, I mean, there's a team in Brisbane, there's no one up where the North Queens are getting, you know, Townsville, and we see how much they embrace their sporting yep. sides. No appetite to go up there? Oh, I think that probably is. Um, but again, it, it comes down to whether the, the money is there, whether the backers are there. Uh, personally speaking, I, I would have preferred a second team in Queensland. No, no disrespect to Auckland, but it is an Australian competition, at least nominally. Yep. Um, and, you know, there, there is a big appetite for football up there. But, you know, it's, it's damned expensive to run professional sporting teams, particularly in our code where... You know, we're not the main game in town. So, 
they probably feel as though this is their best opportunity in the short term to get two extra clubs in. Uh, but I have no doubt that they're looking at a second club in Queensland, whether that will be in the north or whether it will be a second team in Brisbane. Uh, but we certainly need a, a second team in the Sunshine State, not least to give Brisbane Raw a kick up the pants because they've struggled over recent years. Um, you know, there are other areas like Tasmania who are very keen on, on having an A-League team. Um, but APL, I mean, I assume that they've done their research, at least I hope they have, um, and they feel as though these two markets are the best place to go short term. So let's see if they're right. Brilliant, Simon. Always appreciate your time on this station. Go well, um, and looking forward to your call in a fortnight's time. Thanks very much. All the best. Cheers, buddy. There is uh, Simon Hill, uh, the voice of the A-League, also host of the Global Game on the SEN app. Um, just You can throw any soccer football question at him, and he answers. I just got a, quite a few text messages. I'll just clean a few up. I said right at the start that for the netball playoffs <clears> – <throat> The tactics have to beat the Mystics by, it's anywhere between 15 and 20. It's not goal difference, it's percentage. So it's depending how many goals are scored tonight, um, it's somewhere in between they have to beat the Mystics by 15 to 20. And if they don't, the Stars are in the top three. And Brendan, a long time ago, said that can't be right. The Stars make it with less wins than the tactics. Yes, they do, because it's points earned. And of course, you see that in competitions and ladders that have bonus points. And that's why at the end of the game last night, the Stars scored five goals in a row to finish within five, get that bonus point, And they celebrated like they'd won the game. And it was quite a funny look, actually, at the end of that game. The Mystics players were looking at the Stars going, why are you celebrating? We just beat you by five. Because they didn't get it. They didn't understand. <laughs> so it was funny. The losing team were happier than the... Um, then the winning team. Uh, text from Cam saying how much he enjoyed the Ryan Fox chat. Yes, we had Ryan Fox live straight after 12 o'clock, just after his round had finished at the PGA Championship. Uh, you can go and listen wherever you get your podcast to the chat with Ryan Fox. Did Foxy drive the par four on the 14th? Yes, I think he did a couple of times as well. Um, now let's get back down to all of these. Uh, Staffy, there's a story on Facebook saying that Brandon Smith is really unhappy at the Roosters and wants out. I saw a conversation on one of the rugby league shows over the weekend saying that they're trying to turn him into a 13 because you need a they, – they, his, his style of playing nine doesn't fit with the Roosters and he wants to play nine and they want him to be a 13. Interesting. So, But Facebook, you know, it's fact on Facebook. But, yes, he, he looks like he's not playing very much, uh, enjoying playing very much. Staffy, looking forward to the Warriors-Broncos this weekend in the Bay. Weather looks okay. Go the New South Wales Blues, Marshy, Hawks Bay. Uh, we're taking the show. Well, no. Sammy's going down to uh, call the game on Saturday, and he's doing a special running it straight on Friday, 3 to 5 with Kempe. Uh, still got running it straight this week, and there'll be a build-up as well on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a road trip for Sammy, which is fantastic. Lots of good coverage of that. Lots of discussion around uh, which players um, which players are eligible. So all the Origin players won't be playing this weekend. Uh, Sammy's just told me that someone's just pulled out injured of Origin. Is that uh, well, right? Campbell Graham, who was the 18th man, apparently has been has made himself unavailable through injury. So it'll be interesting to see if he's named for the Rabbitohs tomorrow night. But uh, I think Stephen Crichton comes in as the 18th man for the Blues. Mm. Mm. More text messages, but I'll get to those. And 
bit of a chat. Well, and uh, Sam, what was that little hand signal? I can't. Well, I was actually interested around Man City. Um, I haven't met many Man City fans out there. I feel like if most people support a Manchester team, it's United. Yeah, I'd say that's the majority. Probably because of the stigma around Man City and all the money and the fact they buy titles. So <laughs> I have two questions, actually. For, for EPL fans out there who, you know, you're a lot more passionate about it than probably me and Steph. Um, are you, is it getting to that point with the EPL where people are losing a bit of interest because you've got a team like City that just wins it every second year? We all know that the best interest in a competition comes when it's nice and tight. The NRL is a classic example where you've got... That's why it's so popular, particularly this year. Yeah, we're, and then you know, conversely to that, you get competitions where teams just absolutely dominate and suddenly people start to fall away. Is it like that with the Premier League and City? Are people starting to actually um, be... You know, get somewhat disinterested. I know Arsenal put up half a fight for the race this year, but outside of that, there was basically you know daylight between. You start looking yeah. for stories down. Oh, Newcastle are having a good year. Yeah, that's year. how you justify it. But you know, are you the people actually? And the other one as well is um, for City fans. If you're a City fan, these titles does it mean? Does each one mean as much as the last, or is it just getting a bit like, oh, well, there's another one. Throw that one. They came. Oh, great. Yep, there's another one. They're because, becoming the Crusaders of EPL. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Ring us. 0800 150 I'm not a massive EPL fan at all. My brother-in-law is rabid. I tried to get him on the show, actually. Keen to hear your thoughts. Give us a yell. Right, let's get to the phone. Scott and Taranaki. G'day, g'day, Staffy. Hey, uh, just a little bit on Man City. Hmm. Uh, when I was in... I lived in Southport. I was playing cricket over there in 2001. And uh, the people that I uh, shared a house with were massive Manchester City fans. Now, Manchester City was a, was nothing special back in those days. Um, they hadn't had the money come in and all that jazz. I think they might have been two leagues down, played at some hillbilly stadium. You know, it was nothing fancy. Um, you know, to see their growth, obviously money injects that, but, you know, you've still got to put the bits and pieces together to be a championship team. Good players don't always just bring that. But as you can see with, you know, other clubs that spend lots of money as well and certainly aren't up there at, at where they would like to be. Um, so, yeah, you are right. I, I don't know too many fans in New Zealand that are uh, Manchester um, City fans, but it's an interesting one you talk about, is there much interest in it? Because my son, due to Disney and... And his love for the game of football, you know, welcome to Wrexham. You know, when mm. when they won their championship, he lost his mind. He just thought that was amazing. And <laughs> what grade do they go to now? And how does that work? When do they play the EPL? And and it's like, well, no, they actually got two or three more grades to go. And and you're like, he's like, I don't know. He's sort of trying to understand. And what's happening? And then you had the um, the other one too. That was on. Was it Netflix or? Was it? I can't remember the Sunderland one. I think it was. Yeah, that was Netflix. I watched um, that as well. Sunderland till I die. Netflix. Yeah. So I think what you have is an opportunity now for other clubs to engage in ways they probably didn't have years ago. You know, it was just Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Chelsea for a long part were a very successful club, uh, but now you have an, an opportunity, I guess to to i guess expose your your club to a whole different um group of people that probably weren't invested before but enjoy the story of how your clubs come about the the town you are you know everyone's fizzing for welcome to Wrexham too right so you know season 2 because of they've won the league and 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 you know what went on to get there and the struggles they've had and, and everyone got engaged with the town I think that connection, uh, I think, is, is going to be the thing that will keep 
that club connected with the, the future players or the young guys that may not associate with Liverpool or Man City. But in 10 to 15 years' time, Wrexham might be in the EPL and have a bigger following than any of these clubs today just because of the back of their connection with America and Disney and the rest of the world. Mm. Great points. And I, and I love I love the Wrexham and your son's story. That is, how old's your boy? Uh, he's 10. Oh, that's, just, 10. that's just brilliant. I, I absolutely love that yarn. Scott, um, thanks heaps for taking time to call, bud. No worries. Talk soon. Cheers, mate. Uh, you hold on there, Joe. You hold on there, Ed. We'll be with you after the news. Back to the fellow lines we go. Joe and Gizzy. Kia ora, Joe. Kia ora, Steph. Hey, uh, just, just a note on your boys saying how money's bought the Premiership for, for Manchester City. I spent 16 years living in Europe and 10 based in London. Had a season ticket to West Ham for 10 years. Um, my grandfather played six games before the war for them and then obviously went to war and didn't play anymore. But you're finding that 90% of Kiwis follow teams that were winning, like Man United, mm. the Chelsea's, the Liverpool's, the Arsenal's, because that's pretty much all it was given back in the day when footy was on TV1 and they showed the FA Cup once here and that was about it. With the advent of social and the internet, you know, more and more people are travelling and also more and more people follow teams. But money, one, it does buy you premierships. It did with Chelsea when Abramovich came in when I was there. From 1990 to about 2000, I think, uh, Man United won it seven of ten times. I think there's only seven teams that won the last 25 years. Um, and you look at Man United, they had the talent, attracted the money, owned by the Glaciers overseas, now looking to be sold, have plenty of money. City, bought by the, by, by the foreigners. Newcastle bought by the Saudis. Chelsea was bought by the Russians and now they're in trouble. Really, you're looking at teams that do fund uh, unlimited budgets like all football in the world because there's no salary caps. So you, you have the attraction of, of top players going to those clubs and that's why people follow them. But 125 clubs, English Premiership and below, in, in England alone. And you know, there's so much to follow if you actually just look for a team and stick with it. Um, and the beauty about following West Ham, you know, we had some great players who ended up all getting bought by better clubs. They came through the, the academy system when I was there. But what you find is that going to watch football there, you, know, you watch some of the best players in the world when you're there play for the opposition teams, but it's amazing just to watch them. And I think that's the beauty about following English football is you can support a Leeds who have gone up and down a few times and even went to the third division recently. Not in Forest, they were in the fourth division in the last 10 years and are back to the Premiership. Guys who stick with their clubs and go through that entire history, I think become a better, a better type of fan than just being sitting in the Premiership and being mid-table because when West Ham got relegated and followed them through the, uh, the first division, uh, they made the FA Cup out of that, but outstanding uh, following. And when you find a club like that, I think you stick with it for life and it, it just gives you something a bit better to look at as opposed to people who jump on the bandwagon of these clubs with money. Mm, no, points really well made, and I love that you've you've stuck with the hammer. It's the hammers, your team now. Oh, always. You know, my my father has my grandfather's jersey. Brilliant. So um, one of the jerseys. So yeah, that, that's why we supported West Ham. You know, it's forever blowing bubbles. That's it. Got a chance to live in England. Uh, I actually lived in West Ham for a couple of years out east, and then season ticket was amazing, you know, and, and the experience of going to those games and knowing the pubs and the grounds and travelling. Now when you live back this side of the world, you can relate to why it is their religion, you know, because some of those areas not a lot goes on and their football is their religion.
Mm. Perfect. Good stuff, Joe. Good to hear from you, buddy. All right, Jack. Have a good one, boys. See you, mate. Much love to Gizzy. Um, we'll go up the coast a little bit. Ed, kia ora, Ed. Oh, man, when I was young, because the EPL, now I don't know about it, but um, when I was young, my mate used to walk to school together like third ball. His favourite team was Liverpool. Mm. Brian Holton. Anyway, he was the ducks of our school when we got to seventh form. But um, last year, when I started this journey on our SENZ and the Cushay, and they had this question about the EPL, they said, who's up the bottom, Ed? And I went, Liverpool? <laughs> Guess where Liverpool came? Tell me. I've been following them ever since the EPL. Arsenal, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, There's a fella called Harlan. Erling Harlan. There's a fella called Harlan who, what, 36 goals. Earl- There's um, some guy called Harry Kane from Tottenham. Harry Kane, Tottenham, yeah, magnificent here. Magnificent yeah, yeah, yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, and I was getting far out. <laughs> um, all up to old uh, Man City. But I thought Arsenal were going to do it, man, because they were following their table all year. Blah, 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 be on top of them. And hello, and then they break down. That's it. Crunch time. Um, it, it is what it is. It's city all the way. Crunch hey, time. Yep. I'm going to finish off with, um, I was in the pub on the weekend with old Stephen Holden. Oh, there you go. Oh. Even oh, yeah. Stephen Holden is still riding bikes. Okay. You're just, you're just cutting out a little bit there, Ed. Um, I'm not sure where in the country are, but always good to hear from him. We do have to take a break. Sorry, Scott from Wellington, I can see your call, but we have to scoot off because we've got an appointment. Uh, we're committed to talk to Aaron Young. He's the head coach of the Tuatara, and he's next. NBL time now, and we are joining uh, the head coach of the Tuatara, who are on a bit of a tear at the moment, so we have to figure out what's going on. Uh, so Aaron Young joins us on the phone now. G'day, Aaron. Yeah, good morning, Mark. How's things? Things are good, and things are good in your world at the moment. You've got a bit of a three-game win streak, uh, and on the face of it, you know, it's just three games, but two of those teams, the Nuggets and the Rams, are in the top three. You've got yourself up to second. Have, can you identify what sort of maybe happened um, those three games ago and what, what's created this run for you? Yeah, I think for us it's, it's just been really keen in and, and doing a good job of just playing to our strengths. Um, we kind of know the experience that's on hand with you know the group that we have between Weeksy, Cam, Rob, and Ruben. Um, but what I've been most impressed with is you know the young guns stepping up, Charlie, Tom. Um, a lot of our bench has had some really key moments. Um, think back to the in uh, when Cam unfortunately couldn't make it, but when I stepped up and you know just filled that role, and that's the kind of team that we want to be, and it's it's kind of showcasing our little winning win streak that we've had recently. Yeah, I looked across your team stats, and it's a, it's really nice balance. I mean, Jared Weeks sits atop of the fewer categories, but not far behind are the rest of your team. Like you've got four guys averaging over ten points per game. It's a nice balanced squad that you've developed there, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the most pleasing thing after uh, after a good win is looking at the stat sheet and seeing six guys in double figures, and also like six guys, seven guys, and you know with five, six rebounds plus. Uh, we know that we're not the, probably the most big, you know, the biggest team in terms of size outside of Rob. So to see everyone contributing in those kind of key areas with assists, rebounds, steals, blocks, um, it just kind of goes towards, you know, playing winning basketball and, and having a winning culture in terms of what we're trying to do as a group. 
you know, it looks like you, you touched on, which I was going to bring up, you've got Rob Lowe, who's a man mountain. But apart from that, it's not a huge unit when you compare it to other sides. How much do you modify your coaching to facilitate that? Yeah, no, we do. Um, I think the, the thing that we have is we actually play through Rob and his strength. So, you know, his size um, and length, we kind of, you know, we do a good job of kind of playing to his strength on the defense, especially on the defensive end and, you know, allowing him to protect the rim. Uh, I'm sure we're going to come up against some teams um, that have some bigger size. Nelson batted a really good big. Um, the Wellington, uh, Wellington have got some really good size uh, in terms of their group. So we'll have to make some adjustments when we come up against some bigger teams. But we feel like we can compete with anyone, even with just kind of one true center. But um, even guys that we have on off the bench uh, with Nick Barrow, who's played a huge role and he's always you know keen to get out there if, if there's some bigger bodies and hit some people up. But um, no, it's it's a good it's a good dynamic before the group that we have, and I feel like we're gaining some momentum in terms of the way that we want to play. Strategy-wise, how much does your pattern of play, both attack and defence, change depending on opponent? Yeah, massively. Um, and I, would, I wouldn't say that every year, uh, but when you have a group that's as intelligent and smart as the group that we have, especially with your kind of your core um, top top level players, um, with the names that I mentioned earlier, you can you can adjust, you can make um, really sound good decisions and really key in on the, uh, the opponent's personnel. Um, so I think a lot of it is um, a game-to-game adjustment. And, and even when we have quick, quick turnarounds like we like we had on, on the weekend with going from Otago to Canterbury, you know, our whole game plan changed. It was it was very different. There was a lot of things that we you know, kept the same, but, you know, we just focused in on some of their personnel. And when you've got a team that's intelligent and can do that, um, it gives you a huge advantage. So you know, we want to play into that. We don't want to be, you know, as simple as maybe in other, in other terms, but we feel like we can really kind of create a separation there. Yeah, you mentioned the Nuggets, Rams back-to-back wins, which is incredible. You gave the Nuggets their their first defeat, which would be an amazing high for your squad to, to topple the defending champs and the unbeaten carry-through champs. How do you balance or how do you temper the excitement with we've still got work to do is, is that is that easy for you to, is that you and the leaders how do you quell the enthusiasm but still want to celebrate as well yeah no it's, it's, it's always a challenge right and I think especially in this point of the season our, our competition is in a very long season so you know getting up for games um, I wouldn't say it's easy but we understand the importance of doing that because it's not like we're playing you know and it's not like we're in the NBA and we've got 82 games. Like <laughs> We've got 18 games, and there's you know one game a week, potentially sometimes two. Uh, so the focus is really sharp with our group. I think we know, we understand the importance of every game, and if we can put ourselves in a good spot to lead into the playoffs, then that's just going to take a lot of pressure off in terms of seeding and that kind of stuff. So we understand that every week. Um, but it's, it's all about momentum, and I feel like we're in a good place right now. But again, we don't want to be allow complacency to, to step in at any point. And I think having two really tough losses back-to-back against the Bulls and the Nuggets um, a few weeks ago really kind of gave us a, just a kind of bit of a heat check early in the season to say, hey, we we can be better than this if we clean up a few areas, which we feel like we did over the, over the weekend. We can put ourselves in a really good position to play some good basketball. Yeah, so it sounds like to me, Aaron, you, you've worked on getting buy-in from the players and when there's adversity... Uh, it's not drop lip stuff, it's bounce back and prove that that's not who we are. So as a head coach, there's so many 
fingers of skill sets that you need, like there's shooting, there's defensive patterns, there's passing, there's dribbling, there's coaching options, but the holistic nature of having this collective group in a condensed season, quite a high-frequency amount of games, how do you split your time between all of the disciplines that are required to get a winning team? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. You know, it's, you know, one of the exciting parts of putting this team together was playing through everyone's strengths and everyone's kind of strength is very individual. You know, Ruben Parangi is very, you know, very physical guard. We see obviously a little bit smaller, but has great speed. Rob's obviously size, Cam's shooting ability. So, um, you know, it's, it's a big focus. It, it, I'm ne- it's never like an area where you don't stop learning and growing and, and trying to get better at those areas. We're constantly having big conversations, and that's what I love about our group is everyone is kind of bought into to trying to do what's best for the team. So um, it's an exciting feeling within the group, um, and we feel like we're still, you know, we've still got a lot of areas to grow in, but we want to continue to kind of plug in those, those spots that we feel like we can have great success on, um, on and off the court. We're talking to Aaron Young, head coach of the Tuatara, who are on a bit of a tear at the moment. Don't want to jinx that, Aaron, for you at all. Uh, apart, apart from game day, when you're, when you're on the court and you're playing for points, for you, what's the most important team session of a, of a working week? I think it's the, it's, it's the session after, after your most recent game. Um, so, you know, whenever that is, a couple of days after your game, you've had some rest. But now it's time to revamp and then really get after it again. I think that's, you know, we do a big review in that session in terms of film and talk about things. But it's our, our opportunity to really kind of execute our stuff at a, at a very competitive level. Uh, so we really key in on whatever practice that is um, a couple of days after our, our most recent game. Um, and then I think the last session before our game where we can do some live stuff, but also, you know, it's, you're preparing for the opponent and you're looking to scout. So I would say those kind of two, one and two, go hand in hand but as you know um, you know every every session matters uh, we try and eliminate the the, the, the average ones um, and, and just bring a great energy to what we do every session every opportunity that we have to get better Coming up for you a double header against the Jets and I was thinking it might be like a two day turnaround but it is a six day turnaround it- do you like double headers, um, or is there a trap that you're designing offense defense for one team back to back, and you may may get away from innovation? H- how do you address a double header? Yeah, no, I'll let you know after these two games. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, no, I actually, I actually really enjoy it. Um, it's it's an it's a, it's a unique situation in our league, but it's not a unfamiliar one in other leagues around the world. So, as a coach, you're just preparing for different, you know. Scenarios, and I think with this unique one this, that we had this week, it's a good opportunity to prepare and put a good game plan in six days against the Jets. And then, win or lose, you have an opportunity to make great adjustments. And you know, part of coach, I, I love doing that, especially uh, as a coach. Um, so I wish there was more of it, um, but unfortunately, you know, we only get this opportunity probably once once a season. So you got to take it, take advantage of it. You're well positioned, second on the table, nine games to go. Uh, do you? Do you break down the season in groups of five or months or anything like that, or are you simply week by week and what happens, happens? Yeah, I think for us it's, it's definitely week by week, game to game. Uh, we don't try and get too far ahead. Um, our assistant coaches do a good job of, my assistant coaches do a good job of you know preparing for an opponent that we might not have as much uh, prep time for. So if we have a double header, I've got you know one of my assistants, Josiah, or Sunday kind of locked into that group so that we have as much 
film and, and prep ready for that opponent. But um, yeah, very much focused on that next game um, and taking you know taking that opportunity for what it is. Well, Aaron, it's been great talking to you today. I know it's only been 10 minutes, but I've got a vision that the Tuatara are very inclusive and holistic and everyone's got buy-in and everyone's excited with this journey. And I guess all of that equals results. Uh, well done so far. I know there's a wee while to go and we don't celebrate quite yet, but you're on track. You're having a good season. So uh, congratulations and, and look forward to following your fortunes. Thanks, Mark. Always good to be on. Uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, Miami are up now 3-0. Uh, they won 128-102. So Boston have a long, long way to recover. Uh, something, oh, actually, I'll do some text messages that we got in about um, the English Premier League. Someone's just texting Leeds all day. Mark from Christchurch says, never a dull moment for us Everton fans. <laughs> uh, Steffi, I know what you mean what makes someone like Man United or Man City when you're from Manchester it's also like do you like Auckland NPC or North Harbour NPC it's that sort of thing when a big city has two teams like AC Milan or Inter Milan Liverpool or Everton Roma or Lazio in Rome it should be a topic Dino I, I love that topic I love that topic you're usually born into it I think uh, text from Leanne and Palms North Steffi thanks for you and your co-commentator Brooks Brooke Lever's commentary on the TV and the netball yesterday. I turned the TV down and listened to you both so much better. Thank you, Leanne. We do enjoy it. It was a great game too. Every game's a great game. Um, someone says, has Aaron Major resigned and have the Crusaders signed Levi, Levi Almua? Aaron Major has resigned. Uh, he will see out the last two games of the season. Levi Almua, that's that's the oil we're getting. Nothing confirmed yet. Staff, you'll be interesting to find out what has gone on with Aaron Major. I've heard on the old rugby grapevine that every year's coach is controlling ways of upset players and fellow assistant coaches. And his record seems to reflect this. Of course, he had two or three years at the Highlanders. I think he then went over, what was the team he coached in London, uh, in the UK? Leicester, Leicester, Leicester Tigers, Leicester Tigers, and he did one year of a three-year contract as well. Um, interestingly, we've got Peter Alatini joining us after three o'clock about uh, the woes that the Moana Pacifica team find themselves in, what brought about the demise. Uh, hopefully he's landed and his flight happened all on time, and Peter Alatini, fingers crossed, will join us after Johnny Max News. Well, there's a lot of talk uh, around Super Rugby at the moment. It's usually towards the top of the table with the Crusaders and the Chiefs and the Blues and where the Hurricanes going to fish. Uh, fish, finish. Um, we're fishing. It's towards the bottom of the table. Well, the very bottom of the table, actually, we're talking now. Um, Moana Pacifica, they've really struggled these last couple of years. I love their injection. I think they're an important component to Super Rugby. Um, they bring a good flavour. Um, but winless this season I think they picked up two last season two wins in two seasons it looks like still two games to go let's hope they can pick up one of those joining us now is a co-host of our SENZ show Pacific Flair uh, wonderful former All Black uh, Peter Alatini joins us Peter welcome in Hello, thank you. Yeah, hopefully everything's well. Everything's well. Everything's well here, but it sounds <laughs> like everything's not too well at Mount Smart Stadium, the home of the Moana Pacifica. It, it's disappointing, Peter, that they, they're they just not showing a little bit more, and it seems like all is not well at Mill. No, it is, it is a little bit disappointing, but I'm, I mean, it's again, it's a, it's a new franchise, second year, and I think they've had, Few opportunities. They've had three opportunities to um, to win games this year, um, and, and unfortunately, they haven't been able to um, to actually uh, 
for the for the sort as such, and unfortunately that's been their season to to date this year. So it is it's it's a tough road, and unfortunately things are you know a little bit unraveling around what's going to happen next year. So that is a tough tough one for them at the moment. Yeah, keep your phone charged because they'll be looking for a coach, Peter. Because uh, three other franchises in New Zealand are looking for head coaches as well. So now now we've got four, and just just looking at more in Pacifica on the field and in the games. Uh, They've got a points differential of minus 264 over 12 games, and my quick maths suggests that's about 22 points as their average losing margin. What have you seen going wrong in their gameplay? Is it, is it squad depth? Is it the lack of brilliance? What is it? Oh, I don't think it's, it's a lack of brilliance. I think it is definitely the level that some of the boys have come through. Um, there's only probably a handful that have played NPC um, regularly. Um, that have been selected, um, and so the level for some of the boys um, has been probably been the, the toughest challenge to stay against uh, these these teams uh, week in week out. Um, so that's that's probably been a bit of a challenge. I think that the other challenge for the group, um, and this is something going forward, is is, is New Zealand their base? Because to me, it just feels like at the moment that that we're a sixth New Zealand team. Mm. Um, which was just tough looking, and we know we had to get it off the ground as, as Moana Pasifika, but I think going forward, there has to be some thought around where is the best place to base this team um, to really probably the identity they require in this competition. And I think um, that will be probably, I feel that'll help um, kind of set a, a, a clear pathway for these guys and their team going forward. The tricky situation, like we've seen the Fijian and Drua, they played their first season based out of Australia. Now they're based up in Fiji. Do the yep. Samoa, um, Tonga, whatever, do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the financial support? And because you'll need government support, you need world rugby support to set mm. up a permanent training base, a hosting ground, etc. Is that a bridge too far, or can it happen? Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely the challenge. I think, and, and from what I know, that I think Samoa will probably be the more practical base um, going forward if, if, if it's a, a genuine um, option compared to probably Tonga, which still needs a lot of work. But I think that's uh, – and, and that's a big chat that we've been having on the show with Water lately is, is that it, it doesn't really need a standalone investment that will be able to carry that through, um, a big investment from that, and then the support from others to, to carry that through. So that's – I think it, it may be a bitch, but it's – I think it's something that they have to seriously look towards if, if they are to continue in this competition. A lot of the playing stock, Peter, in Moana Pacifica, while Pacific Island Heritage um, are New Zealand-based, how hard mm. how hard would it be for them to up anchor and go and relocate, whether it's by themselves, with family, with loved ones, with kids, to go and pace, base themselves in Samoa? You're right. And then the, that, that would be a tough, tough ask as well, but I I think it's 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 one that's not. I mean, it it, it does happen um, for some for some players and, and and families. It does happen, and 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 I suppose that will be the challenge for for our boys going forward. But I I still think it's a plausible one. You know, it's, it's, it is uh, more they'll be able to um, have a, a solid base where they can work from and to be back in the islands. And I think that's you know the the, the pathway for the team. In terms of they play for their own nations as such, um, and, and 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 it is a decision where where guys will have to make whether it is um, 
uh, their future in, in terms of playing for the international team. Tell me about, I'm going to forget um, O from 12, tell me about the importance of this team. I know they're based in Auckland, but the importance of this team representing Pacifica um, back in the homelands. Is there is there the necessary connection there, even though they're not based over there? Yeah, I think it is. It is for this, especially for this um, for this competition as well. These these guys, huge. I mean, like we said, we've seen the, the influence that it has over Drua that they've been able to be based um, back at home. But in saying that too, they had a, a, a couple of years coming through the Australian competition too. Is, so there's, there's definitely a need to have a base in the islands to represent across um, Pacifica and then really really have some pathways from the bottom. Keep, keep building the top, I suppose, as a flagship team, but also what is it that we can build from the bottom um, to, to have a genuine pathway? So when I say the bottom, I'm meaning the grassroots to, a, to a, like a provincial competition and then, and then to be at a level at, at Super to, to compete against these things. Um, just got a... Um Text actually, Peter, asking you just so. Well, it's more a comment, just saying. I guess the brothers from Moana Pacifica. There's only so many speeches you can say to your team in the Ingo while awaiting mm. your opponent's conversion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's so tough. Look, I really do feel for the kids. I see these. I think half the kids that don't play go back into Auckland club rugby and play. Um, and you know, and it's 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 such a tough situation for these uh, boys to, to keep at it and. Not only the boys, but I really feel for Azza and, and Fila, who have done a fantastic job. I'm not going to um, stand aside and, and just the, the great work they've done in, in terms of developing these players. I think it was, they said um, on breakdown last night, 28 guys have gone through to play international. Mm. So it's definitely a, it, it's a key part of, of, of rugby that we need um, in this competition, but more so for the game itself in Pacifica. Um, countries and, and against you know um, against a, a great competition like um, the the Super uh, Pacific and so we definitely need them and it is you know I do feel for the boys week in week out but again it's it's the, it, this is the competition you play in and it's one of the best in the world um, and and the level for me for some of the kids just need to understand that what what they have to do to keep at it week in week out. And finally, Peter, you don't have to be a former all-black midfielder like you to identify that one of um, Moana's better players, Levi Almua, um, there's word on the street that he might be crusader-bound. That that breaks my heart for Moana Pacifica. Yeah, yeah me too. It's a really... And that was always going to be, because there's no real definition around where the, the team is at. You know, there was, you know, there's still... It has service purposes in terms of guys going through, but when you have someone with that form and everyone saying it to be built, you know, can still build a team around someone like himself and, and the other guys that have performed at that level. But now to, you know, with the word saying that they might sign up with, with, with the Crusaders, I mean, look, nothing against him. He's, he's taking his opportunities and he's doing it, but hmm. I suppose it's, it's definitely a, a, a huge loss for the franchise going forward. Peter, thanks heaps for joining us fresh off the plane, mate. I'll, I'll let you carry on with your day. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Cheers, buddy. Peter Alatini, former All Black there. Raise some interesting points. Where, where is the importance for you listeners out there on the Moana Pacifica cog being part of Super Rugby? I'm a big supporter of it. I think you give them time to bed in. Um, gosh, the Redcliffe Dolphins have ruined... Uh, new teams coming into leagues, um, giving them time. They haven't taken any time at all. But 
they're an important component, but just, and I'm with Peter, I don't blame Levi Amur for jumping ship. Um, it happens all the time. Um, good players in, in bottom teams get an offer from a top team. Uh, Jack Whiten, for example, he's moving because he wants a title. Players want titles. Yeah, but shouldn't there be more of an emphasis for particularly Moana Pacifica and maybe the Fijian draw it, they've been brought into this comp to give the Pacific Island a team that can create its own legacy rather than what New Zealand does, which is basically just take all the talent from the Pacific Islanders and put them on the Kiwi teams. Now, I get your point that you know guys always go to the best teams and there'll be people out there who say it's a free market, they can play wherever they want to play. But at least initially, shouldn't there be more emphasis on why these teams were set up in the first place? Shouldn't there be more emphasis on allowing them to build their own talent and keeping them there and because really staff Moana Pacifica should be the best talent in the region in that region playing for that team right yeah like theoretically <clears throat> and whether it's youngsters coming through and I know there are a lot of young guys in there but you want them to keep them you don't want them to leave mm. that you is, don't want them that's to, the opposite and there was a situation and people were ringing in at the start of the season looking at the Highlanders squad big big fan of the Highlanders but the Highlanders team, bar maybe two or three, was made up of players that couldn't get in the other four teams. That was the, that was what was levelled there. And potentially, I just don't want that to happen to Moana Pacifica. I know for a fact there were two former All Blacks. When Moana Pacifica were being set up and it was mooted that they were going to get a licence, they wanted to play for them. Two former All Blacks, right? And one that was hovering as well. So potentially three former All Blacks. And they were they were they had contracts in the Northern Hemisphere that had to be signed by um, the thirtieth of a month. Um, they were waiting for Moana, waiting for Moana. Um, they had to sign a deal because they didn't get the license. And then on the first, the next day, New Zealand Rugby gave the license to Moana Pacifica. They lost out on these three All Blacks. Now at the end of this Northern Hemisphere season, I think two of the three had two year deals. They may come back next year, but we need to wrap our arms around these uh, Pacifica countries like the Drua and Pacifica and um, help them as much as we can. Dale from Auckland's called in. G'day, Dale. Hey, mate. How you going? Good, thanks, Dale. Hey, yeah, just uh, on the uh, Moana Crusader thing, I think um, myself personally, I'm not too uh, distressed about the whole Moana to Pacifica. I mean, Moana to Crusaders, it's more the the fact that he's no longer available for Samoa, which I think is probably more detrimental uh, overall, you know what I mean? Like, the, the island is already struggling for players, and, you know, if, he, if he's... Like, it'd be an outside chance to make the All Blacks, if at all. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I don't think he'll make it this year. I don't, I don't think he'll make it this year, but he's a young man, and um, that's another flow-on point that you've made. You know, we need Moana and Fiji and Drua um, to help Fiji... Samoa Tonga be strong internationally rather than just um, finding who's left after all the other nations have taken what they've wanted. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point, Dale. Thanks for making it, mate. But uh, but anyway, uh, more importantly, go the Warriors. That's the one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Dale. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Maybe it could be the Moana Pacifica Warriors and they can have, you know, share players and stuff like that. Staffy, as a Crusaders fan, if we get Levi Amua, then I'm obviously stoked. However, 
Where are World Rugby when it comes to investment in the Pacific? Surely they have the funds to invest in these franchise teams to help with retention of players and have better pathways for their countries. Mikey, I don't know the numbers, but I know World Rugby do help the Pacific Islands. Could they help more? Yes. Should they help more? Yes, probably. Um, I know they put a lot of money into their sevens teams to get them and travel around because they don't they don't get the corporate sponsors. Um, they don't have the big corporates in the Pacific Islands like the other teams that are there. So they do help, but should they help more? I, I definitely think they should, and I think rugby league should as well help these teams. You know, Jason Tomalolo from the Cowboys left the Kiwis, and people were peed off about that. But what he's done for rugby league in the islands has been generational, generational. And I'm not saying Levi Almore should do that, but he sees a pathway to the All Blacks, and it's going to be a better it's going to be a better corridor for him to walk down as the Crusaders corridor rather than the Moana Pacific corridor. If his goal is All Blacks. Um, it's just the way of the world. Uh, we will take a break. We'll come back uh, very, very shortly. Text in from Surly Talk Sport. G'day, Ben Surly, a great man. Good topic, this. For me, on Moana Pacifica, for me, they need some big marquee players to sign. Not sure how or when the dollars don't match that on offer in Europe, but... If they could bring in a Lomapi, Fekitawa, or even Adi Savia, then the other big names will follow, similar to the Tonga Samoa in the league. I wouldn't rule out someone like Adi Savia playing his final season at some stage. You know, I think at some stage he might head offshore, maybe a, a, you know, a stint or two in Japan. Um, the older bodies suit Japan. I'm not saying Artie's old, but he will be eventually. Um, what about other players that are over there? I see Charles Piertaus just signed a contract in Japan. He's he's wound up in the Northern Hemisphere. But there's players like Stephen Luatua. There's players like Lima Sopawanga. There's a whole raft of them over, up there in the Northern Hemisphere. I think that'd be great. Like they got Christian Lelafano and Sakopi Kepu at the end of their careers to come back. And I tell you what, the pull of the Pacific Island heritage in, and amongst these players and an opportunity to play for a team that represents them is strong. It's very, very strong. Um, one from Ken. Staffy, what about those Dragons? What a game. And Blues, don't write us off. And Almua to the Crusaders, let's see. They do have Will Jordan, Braden Enor and Lester Fying Anuku. Um, good Hugh. Oh, and Goodhue. Oh, sorry. They do have Jordan, Enor, Lester Fagnuku and Goodhue all unsigned. There's going to be some big movements in squads there. Look at all of that for a midfield. Look at that. Yes, there will be some movements. And one from Ben 10. Now, Ben 10, I think it was he our winner last week, Sammy, I think. For show me the money. For show me the money. Was Maybe he, he was. Was he? Uh, anyway, he said, hey, lads, it was a tough show me the money. And I note, Will Jordan did dot down. Third time, lucky, eh? It was good fun following the multi over the weekend, though. Sam, recap us. Show you the money. Not, not so Show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. And you'd think, too, with no razor, is no longer the that draw card for keeping players signed in Crusaders land, so maybe there will mm. be some big movements. Mm. Show me the money. Uh, over the weekend, Steph, um, not sure where to start here. Um, now, you took 
What did you take in the end? Oh, you took Harris, Harris English. English. English top 20. That's right, yeah. And we don't actually have any audio for that, but he finished well down the picking order, unfortunately. Missed the cut. Um, I, I feel on, very disingenuous too. I, I jumped on everything of uh, the mate that we had on last week. I jumped on Cantlay. I jumped on English. I jumped on Brendan Todd. Can I have full disclosure? Go on. I didn't take any of them. Referee. I took Justin Rose top 10. And, and he finished ninth. And he, he was paying... I think about $9 top 10. That disappoints me greatly. It disappoints me too. Um, so uh, we're not off to a good start, but we might as well see how well, how well else we did it. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. Uh, how did the other leagues go, Sam? Yeah, I'll tell you, Mark. Um, Moana Pacifica. Now, what I can't remember what the Moana one actually was. Uh, I'm going to have to get my uh, my bet my bet slip back up here. Um, it was Almoa. Was it to score for the Crusaders? Was that from Captain K? It yes, was, it was. At three bucks as well um, yeah. for, for, for Moana, for Leal Valmour to score a it's try. strong, and trying to reach and stretch. They go again, and they've scored the try. As Timo Whanganuku, who's burrows over for Moana. They have beaten Moana Pacifica tonight here in Auckland by 41 points to seven. The one try nearly came. If only Levi they Moore. paid out on assists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Anytime try score, if he's if he's the second man, then uh, we'll refund up to a bonus bet. Not the case. Uh, let's go to the Chiefs and um, whoever places. This must have been our caller, actually. And he went very, very conservative at $1.25 for the Chiefs to beat the Hurricanes. Back into winning form. Treacherous conditions. But the Chiefs have got it done. 23-12, the final score. Now, remember he wanted to take, in that Crusaders game, uh, the Crusaders Moana game, he wanted to take Will Jordan to score in 13, was it 13 plus as well? It was the power play. Will Jordan uh, scores in 13 plus, which came in. I should put in another thing. It was about three or four bucks. Um, but he went for the Chiefs anyway, came in. And the final one for me, and I told you this this morning, um, I had a terrible weekend tipping the NRL. However... On Thursday, people remember when I was hosting from 3 to 4, I said there's going to be a lot of upsets. I felt like there actually. was going to be a lot of upsets. I didn't commit to it, but I said there were going to be a lot of upsets. And of all the games across the weekend, do you know the one I was most sure about? Which one? South Sydney to beat the Parramatta Eels. And in the end, a very big win to Parramatta on the scoreboard. <laughs> 36-16 full-time in Friday night footing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Seriously. they got it wrong by 20 points. I know. It wasn't even just a close one. It was an absolute shellacking. So, you know, I don't mind when you lose on something that you just totally don't get. But see, I ha- like I actually picked the Dragons in my tipping comp, and I backflipped five minutes before kickoff. Which went you, to the Roosters. Which you quite often do. And then here's the thing. Dolphins Storm, because of all the upsets over the week- weekend, so after Parramatta won, after the Tigers won, I thought, screw it, I'm going to pick the Dolphins. They're going to beat the Melbourne Storm, right? Yeah. So I backflipped to the Dolphins. The yeah. Melbourne Storm go and win. So I had the worst weekend of tipping I've ever had. My TAB account, very unhealthy. Um, back into retirement. Mm. You got you got some breaking news, developing stories. <clears throat> Let me just sit on this briefly while we go to the news. Sure. And I'll liaise with you. Okay. Let's go to the news. I've just received the text, which I'm going to read out, and text that don't worry, I'm not going to name you, but... It wasn't to the station, actually. It was just to me personally. Someone very well connected in Pacific Island rugby just says, uh, you bang on with those old all-black boys and the need to make a pact to play for the islands. It's a sacrifice that, yes, it hurts them financially, but if there are enough key players, 
they can still play together with a proper governance and high-performance coaching crew like the Tongan Rugby League team did at Eden Park in New Zealand. Um, so that's coming from someone very well-connected in, in that. So, so it does take... It does take a financial hit. It does take a bit of bravery. And I've always I've always had so much respect for Jason Tomalolo to make that stand. Yeah. He knew he'd cop it and he did. But even now we look back and go, wow, what he did was amazing. I think and I've got to be careful about this here because I do agree with you, but I think it was probably easier for them in league because the money, obviously, most of the money comes from their clubs. that not, They don't get it from the international game. And also... And he's a million-dollar player a year, so he, he can do stuff Yeah, like and that. also I think the difference between what you get for the Kiwi, Like, you might get five grand for playing for the Kiwis <laughs> or ten grand, you know, versus nothing or whatever it was for playing for Tonga. But, you know, that, that person that texts you is 100% right in the fact that that's what it's going to take. And we need to be patient with these in any sport these new teams like Minor Pacifica to, to expect it to do so well quickly is not how it's going to work I mean even if you look at Tong I mean how many years have we seen them just be a tier 2 a tier 3 rugby league team and just all of a sudden overnight became almost tier 1 and beats Australia and New Zealand it mm. literally happened overnight so you know Minor Pacifica it might be like this for a couple of years and then mm. all of a sudden someone makes the decision and Adi Savia whatever the rest follow and then the explosion happens um, but you can't like we don't want to just fold up and and leave it because you know it hasn't worked in the first but it's I, been in the too hard basket for so long yeah. and it's going to take something out of the ordinary now I'm lucky enough to have spent I had about a I'm going to say an eight or nine day trip to Samoa mm, with great great with, country oh, and the people mate just I felt I'd been there five minutes and I felt like I'd known them for five years they're just so welcoming so passionate about rugby so passionate about New Zealand as well. Um, to give you an example, when I left, I had 50 bucks or 50 tala in mm-hmm. my pocket, which mm-hmm. is a lot of money um, over there. And I gave it to a girl there who was a 16-year-old, and she had made the Samoan Development Netball team. And she didn't have any shoes. So I said, there's 50 tala for some shoes. And she goes, oh, money, money, and put it in her pocket. Next day, day we were leaving, I just said, oh, um, she'd said she'd liked a T-shirt I was wearing. So I just said, oh, do you want my T-shirt? And she was like, is that from New Zealand? And I went, yeah, and she burst into tears. So the connection with New Zealand is so strong. And I don't buy in that we pillage the islands of all of their best um, best talented players. Um, a lot of, We have a lot of second and third generation Pacifica people in New Zealand. But what I learned in that eight or nine days was lineage to your Pacifica heritage far outweighs any lineage that I can resonate with. My, my lineage is through to uh, England, Ireland and Australia. I don't have that connection. But when you go back and you you experience and you walk into Victor Vito's village with him, the esteem, um, I'm not sure what the Samoan word is for mana, I, I learned so much <clears throat> about connection of domiciled New Zealand Pacifica people who were born in New Zealand and go back to the islands. And that connection, um, I know that's a lot more than playing rugby on the rugby field, but something's going to have to be done and it takes a bunch of brave people. And just thinking about it, how could it happen, Sammy? Could it happen with, you probably need four or five players, whether you get a Piatau, a Savia, um, a Fekitoa, uh, a Luatua, these type of guys that go, 
let's go to Moana. I, I talked to a bunch of guys who used to play for Wellington, and they always said, and it never happened, they were going to come back and have one season of club rugby in Wellington for, for a smaller club like Eastbourne. Get the boys back together, put them on the map, and away you go. Similar to what Wrexham has done. Put them on the map. I really want Moana to to survive, you know? I, I really want them to flourish, uh, flourish and thrive. Fa'alolo is mana in Samoan. There we go. Fa'alolo. There we go. Fa'alolo. Thank you, um, my translator on my phone. Anyway, um, that's where we're at, Sammy. That's where we're at. What are we doing now? I can't hear you. Like, just, just say it on air. Oh, we're going to have a look back in the day before we go to Jimmy Smith. That's right. Here's what happened back in the day. Yeah, we never have time to do this before the end of the show. Uh, May 22, 1844. The first representative New Zealand rugby union team played its first match when they beat the Wellington 15 9-0 at Newtown Park. They went on a tour of New South Wales and won all eight games. And the rugby union wasn't established until 1892, some eight years later. Until then, tours were privately organised. Interesting history. 1997, after being the first woman to officially enter the Indianapolis 500 a year earlier, Janet Guthrie became the first to qualify for the Indian, Indian, Indianapolis 500. 39-year-old uh, physicist turned racer. She did more than 191 miles an hour before hitting the wall and qualifying. Ouch. Birthdays, uh, 1946, sadly died in 2005, Georgie Best. Bobby Charlton, United moving forward again, Manchester there, George Beckham, a lot of work, Gibbons on his right, Best again, a glorious goal by Best, what a magnificent goal by Best, a masterpiece of a goal by Best, straight to the ball. Oh, Georgie Best. Got one of the great quotes, which can't say on radio. Pat Smullen, former Irish jockey, sadly passed in 2020, birthday today. Jeremy Christie, former New Zealand footballer, turns 40 today and turning 36, the Joker. He's a perfect 10. Not only champion of Australia for a 10th time, but he is the best player on the planet again. Yeah. On this day in 1984, the number one movie was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That was a really good pinball game, actually, as well, in the cafe in um, Lower Hutt I used to play. And taking us to the break, before we talk to Jimmy Smith, this was the number one thing. Oh, maybe he's no Romeo, but he's my loving one-man show. Another Dino has said, Sam, you need to go b- uh, go back to the future and get the Greys Sports Almanac with Doc and Marty McFly. 
Um, I think that's for a show me the money um, so we can um, accurately predict. We'd, we'd get show me the money every single weekend. That would be amazing. Uh, Jimmy Smith and co are just running a tad late. Uh, Michael Maguire will be in studio again. Uh, it's going to be a shorter chat, but if you want me to put anything to Madge, Kiwis coach, of course, text it through immediately, double eight double three, because we're about uh, 30... Uh, 40 seconds away. So I'd love to ask any burning questions for Michael Maguire. Um, we will link up with that. Um, I'm going to talk to him about the weekend's NRL, actually, because he would he would write it. And he's linked up with Can- – he's with Canberra, isn't he, Sammy? Um, Michael Maguire. And they had their run. Um, they've been on an absolute tear, and they had that halted. So we'll talk to him about that as well. Of course, the Raiders now in eighth, and the Warriors have gone above them. Sorry about that. And, of course, we do have live commentary, uh, a lot of preview for the Warriors-Broncos game. Sammy and Tony Kemp will be down um, at the – well, we'll find out for Sam before we go what the name of the place they're doing, the OB, and all that sort of stuff. But they're now over a minute late. Um, fine system, um, probably stand-down periods uh, will be invoked, uh, particularly on Jimmy Smith. He's he, Jimmy Smith, he, he moonlights as a very professional broadcaster, but being we a minute brethren, 15, um, oh. I hope they're – Okay with that. Staffy. Oh, make me pad for a minute, why don't you? <laughs> Jeepers. How'd you get, just out of interest, what did you come up with in that minute? Just out of interest. I've been asking people to text in any questions for our beloved uh, Sir Michael Maguire, the Kiwis <laughs> coach, if any, if any listeners have got questions, so we'll see if they come in. Um, so I've just been waxing on, really. Okay. Um, uh, the, uh, Sir Michael Maguire actually has a plea to the people of New Zealand. Is that hmm. right, Madge? Uh, yes, a, a little bit of that, Jimmy. Um, let's get behind Toru Harris coming back into the Kiwi space. I think uh, I've been watching uh, Toru for quite some time. He is one hell of a player. Uh, I'd love to see him um, you know, put himself back into a potential selection for, for the Kiwis when the time's right. Ooh. You've, you've, I don't even have to ask the listeners. We're right behind that sentiment, Madge. <laughs> yeah. He, he just. Daffy, I've got you one job. You've got one job, <laughs> mate. If you can uh, sit down with Tohu and say, mate, look, uh, the Kiwi uh, crew need you, that'd be great. Now, I was listening to Jimmy Smith yesterday. He was doing a supercar show, and you got taught a new word, Jimmy, mm. and it applies to Tohu Harris and the Warriors. Can you remember the word? Uh, heliocentric. Yes. Tohu Harris is heliocentric to the Warriors' performance. When he's there, he's not flashy, he's not this, he's not that, but he's the fulcrum that I think is as important as Sean Johnson's return to form. Um, is that a fair comment, Madge? Yeah, it's definitely. I look at Tohu, um, who could I relate him to? Someone like Isaiah Yeo mm-hmm. from Penrith. Uh, he's the glue that uh, is obviously helping that team you know, go to the places they are at the moment. And you know, I know we've sort of spoken about Sean quite a bit, but who definitely adds uh, that part of the, the ball playing or the running part within the middle of the park. And, um, you know, I don't think he's probably spoken about enough at times, Tohu, uh, and what he's achieved in his career. And, you know, one at the Melbourne Storm and now going over there. And he's battled a little bit with a few injuries, but um, when he's up and about, he's, uh, he's a world-class player, Tohu. Can I ask you, Staffy and, and Madge, I'm, I'm just looking at Tohu's record. He's played 16 test matches for the Kiwis, but he hasn't played a test in seven years. What? Why not? Yeah, I think his body's played a little bit of a part of that, Jimmy. You know, he's um, he's had a few bumps over the last few years, so he's he's sort of tried to manage that in the right way. And right. Um, 
So that that has definitely played a part. But uh, look, if his um, body's right and the mind's right, well, I know he'd be an enormous addition to um, obviously the Kiwis being successful. And yeah, we're we're looking how we can go a step above from where we've been uh, in last November. So uh, yeah, players like Tohu, um, you yeah, know, will will definitely uh, help to the pathways of where we're going with the Kiwi jersey. Hey, Mitch, is there, is there any um, aftermath, and of course people may not remember, but there was a Kiwi squad named when Sonny Bill Williams said he wasn't available and Torhu was named in the Kiwi squad. Then Sonny Bill said, I am available. So they mm. dropped Torhu Harris out of the Kiwis. Yeah. Is there a little bit of aftertaste there maybe with Torhu? Oh, look, I don't want to delve into personal conversations I've had with Tohu, but look, no doubt, um, you know, there, there might be a little bit of that in the background. But look, you, you move on and I think, you know, where the Kiwi jersey is and what the players have done at this present moment, um, it's a pretty special place and it's very sacred, you know, to be a part of that team. And I think Tohu, um, you know, he's moved on from that. It's just now whether or not his body's up to it. Um, and, you know, I think uh, someone of his stature and his experience, well, in those big moments, in the big games, um, you know, someone like Tohu would definitely um, you know, be a big part of, you know, the continual success of uh, where the Kiwi jersey is going. Uh, Madge, we've had uh, some, we've had a few people actually texting in. Uh, you obviously keep a very close eye on the Kiwis in the NRL. And one name, and I'm pleased I've texted him because I've started to wonder about it as well, William Warbrick, who came from the All Black Ooh, Sevens yeah. and has appeared with Ooh. the Storm. He's getting better minute by minute. Yeah, he is. Yes, he's doing really well. Um, he's adding to the, the depths. Uh, <laughs> every time I see one of these new young kids come in, I, I put it to the lists and... Yeah, you have depth charts as a coach, and um, when I first started, it was quite skinny, but it's starting to get um, you know, quite a lot of players in each individual position, which creates competition. Um, but Will's, a, I know he's a renowned goal kicker. I had a good mm-hmm. phone call with uh, Daryl Halligan, and he's done a bit of digging about uh, yeah, who's going to be the goal kicker for the Kiwis uh, when it comes about. And look, someone like Will apparently is, um, you know, he's got a fair bullseye on him with his, his goal kicking. So, you know, those little things in your game help to the, the opportunities that you have because uh, going up by sixes in our game is very important, especially in test matches. Uh, another question from Jamie from Wanaka, Madge. I'm sure you know where Wanaka is. Jamie does a great barbecue and serves up some beautiful Spates uh, Gold Star Ale. Uh, and his quote, and I read it word for word, great show, guys. Please ask Sir Madge if we are far away from hearing about any test dates for the Kiwis. Mm. Uh, I do know. Well, I have been told that there's going to be test matches at the end of the end of the year, um, but I can't really confirm anything at the moment. I know Greg Peters is working really hard in the background to lock away not only uh, the end of this year, but also to the potential World Cup in 25 uh, coming to New Zealand. So, um, you know, I think that would be an enormous part for the game. Uh, you know, the, the support that uh, the game has over in New Zealand is um, enormous. So, look, I, I definitely think that we will have... Um, three test matches at the end of the season, Staffy. That's brilliant news. And last one actually coming for you, Jimmy. Um, oh, here, here we, we go. Here we this go. Is from Mark, this is from Mark and Sam, is it, from SENZ? <laughs> this is from Igor from Ekatahuna. Um, <laughs> and he wants, to, he wants to know, we, we greatly respect your tipping ability, Jimmy Smith. How did you go on the weekend? Uh, good question. I'm, actually, I have to have a look through. Um <laughs> What does it? Have you got some inside insight in how I went? Apparently, you were woeful. Oh, well, woeful! You know, I, 
You know what, Madge spoke about it earlier. All we need is consistency, right? So if I'm consistently woeful, <laughs> consistently woeful. then it's, it's okay, right? Uh, look, <laughs> a, a final final point because I know we both have to go. The listeners love the afternoons with Madge slot that we have now on our show. Thanks, David. It's brilliant. Oh, anything else nice you want to say? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Sir Madge, it sort of sets the scene, doesn't Sir Madge. it? Uh, Sir Madge. We like that. Thank yeah. you, James. Uh, thanks, David. I really appreciate the sport, mate. Cheers, team. Thank you. Uh, Torhu Harris, get it happening. Get, get it, it happening. Okay, uh, good on you, Staffy. I've got seven days to get Torhu across the line, make sure I do it. All right, there is Jimmy and Madge, as we do on Mondays. I love that chat with uh, Michael Maguire. Great man. Uh, Staffy from Kent. Uh, the Dragons are last on the table after that. Uh, Dragons last on table after that great win. Only one way to go now. I really like the young winger. I think he was originally a Cantab. Not sure who that is. That is that Matthew? I, I don't know how they pronounce it, but it's like F E A G A I, like Fiar guy. But oh, okay. I think it's pronounced like Fing Fingai or something. Yeah, different okay. pronunciation. We've got a couple of. Oh, in fact, we've got one minute. We've got a Muso coming in studio tomorrow. A young Muso trying to make it uh, on her own, bringing a guitar in. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, Rubinio, who's been uh, answering your calls today. You're off to uh, the United States of America tomorrow to go to Game 5 and Game 7 in the Boston Miami oh, series. Yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be there. Well, all you need to do, mate, is take your passport, take your wallet, you're in for a good time. Or, well, I'm hey, actually, if, you, if you want, I can yeah. punt on the Miami Heat and that way they'll lose. Yeah. And the Boston oh, South, yeah. We can do that. Yeah. I've actually lost my wallet. That's the, that's the other story. Oh, when I do you leave? Tomorrow night. How long's your wallet been lost? Uh, since this morning. Where did you leave it? Right. Um, <laughs> don't know why I didn't think of that. Always yeah. check. I've lost my wallet twice, uh, well, more than twice, but two times it was in the freezer. I have I no idea why. I was not expecting Robbie you to say that. You do, Steph. So look no. fridge, look freezer, look okay. cupboards, look pantry. I mean, I'm out of options, so I'm definitely going home and trying that. Mm. The run home's thanks, coming Steph. up. Big thanks to Sammy. Travel well, Rubinho. Go Boston.